Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Basically, he essentially is making an argument to rename, oh, I did mention this before yesterday, uh, to rename religious studies departments as spirituality studies. Great. Like, which is sort of a big deal to propose that. And he doesn't come out right and say it, because he also then argues, and this is an article he just dropped in Religion, on, in, the, in the quarterly, in the journal, mm-hmm. Journal of Religion, which is the, the journal for religious studies. And... Uh, he says, because we can't just do it for marketing or to grab um, quick attention because of the trend or the vogue. And he's, he critiques Jordan Peterson and uh, Harare and the other scholars from, you know, from art history, psychology, philosophy, and theology for basically becoming the most famous commentators on religious studies as opposed to actual religious scholars because they don't actually know what's up to date. And he, he refers to people like Jordan Peterson as, as amateurs commenting on the main stage about a field that they're way out of date with. Like they're still reading Mircea Eliade sure. and the Eranos school and like, or even Joseph Campbell, which is just, you know, it's almost a hundred years out of date from what religious scholarship is actually thinking. So he's saying, let's rescue his departments, you know, get funding and, and reclaim it 
by maybe considering calling it spirituality. Essentially, that's what he's saying. Interesting. But he can't really come out and just say that. But the crucial thing he says is we can't do it for marketing purposes and just to get our budgets reapproved and increased in students. We have to do it out of an actual passion for actually, by actually studying what really matters to us instead of just what just interests us and we think might intrigue students. It has to really, we have to tell a better story. If we want our story as religious scholars to be heard above the, uh, you could call it, I guess, the, the, the appeal of the versions we're getting told from Harari or uh, Peterson, we have to tell a better story. We can't just bitch and moan. And that's what he says. Interesting, isn't it? That's great. I yeah. mean, we're at an interesting time now where in universities there's actually you know, more spiritual studies happening. I mean, there are actual you know, UC classes where you can study you know, the old crafts and the old ways, old spirituality. And I think nowadays people have more of an interest than ever. Well, and you know, it, and it's it's always been there. Even Stephen Flowers, I think, said that at university, this would have been a long time ago when he was at university, he had courses on Kabbalah. Yeah, that's crazy. It's perfect time too, because you know, when you're in the university system, you're constantly, you know, more morphing your mind and bouncing around ideas. It's a great time to introduce an idea like Kabbalah. I think. Yeah, of course, studying the history of the thing is a bit different than studying the practice. True, but, but it's intriguing on its own part. I mean, some people spend their whole lives just studying that and don't actually even take part in it. It's it's an interesting, yeah. I think that's always been the, the case with armchair, you know, workers versus people that actually want to get in and do the, do the work itself. Do you think we could expand the definition of from practical to armchair to a third and say that there's a difference between armchair occultists and scholars of esotericism totally you yeah. could be a complete you could be a, a scholar as a mechanic and you can know how everything works in a car it doesn't make you a mechanic you could know how everything works you could you know, know the origins how, how the physics behind it the math behind it but if you've never put a wrench in your hand and taken apart an engine you're, you're not a mechanic yeah and i think that's that's a very good analogy to put into the work of magic some yeah. people that's enough for them you know just to you know understand correspondence who needs to do Frater Ashen Hassan's work when you can just read the book <laughs> depends on what you want I mean for some well that's the definition really of an armchair magician yeah where the scholar of esotericism they don't read Ashen Hassan no, or no. even Tony Fuller for that matter well really. some some, some for, would some authors like for example uh, example Jake Stratton Ken. They mean, would see that as contemporary. He's both an actual magician. practicing uh, magician and goetic uh, spirit conjurer, but at the same time, he also wrote Geosophia and he studies the history and origins of uh, goetic spirits. It's actually pagan roots, big time. Yeah. Um, you just have to be careful at academic conferences and in papers to distinguish between primary source material and secondary source material. Totally. So, like in a, in a, for a practicing ritualist, Ashen Hassan has now basically become primary source material and or, or secondary source material, sorry. Right? But I think I, mean, I think those authors they could really care less what anybody thinks. Sure. Right? You know? Sure. But it's a, it's a, just a sort of an understanding of categorizing the information, right? Because in, in an academic setting, you're not talking about people actually practicing this stuff really outside outside the context of studying the people who practice that stuff, right? Well, it, it's, it, it's a level of discourse removed. 
and even further, there's folks that are scholars on it that also don't believe in it. They're well, just most obsessed of them don't. with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the Association for the Study of Esotericism, which is the academic mm-hmm. uh, depart, uh, society, association that, that, you know, in, uh, and then there's the ESWE, E-S-S-W-E in Europe. It, they, most of them don't teach, like Honograph, Voter Honograph doesn't teach this stuff. It was my protege, Daniel, who first showed him in Amsterdam when he was doing his master's with Honograph, the LBRP, with Jeremy Crow. Jeremy Crow was there and was a student with Daniel Klein, and they showed him. So it's it's crazy to think that I found out that Honograph first saw an LBRP from my pupil. Interesting. And uh, he had never seen it, right? It was it's not of any real interest to him, and he wasn't particularly. Well, and even if he was you... surprised to see someone do it in a real way. Because I think scholars often forget that there's people taking this spirituality serious because it's our spirituality. Well, and as a scholar, you risk you know credibility if you actually come out and say big time. But that's yeah. slightly changing. Yeah, with people like sort of with Fuller. I mean, he's in academia. You can almost uh, historians are are not considered the prime people. You know, they're considered above uh, scholars of religion, but. Not much, <laughs> unfortunately, because <laughs> there's a pecking order in academia. Well, and it makes you wonder how many s- scholars actually do practice, but just don't talk about it. That's something we just talked about in academic circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I almost got to have a, a t- chance to talk about it with Angela Voss the other year in Canterbury, um, because I knew she has some interest in some things. She writes a lot about divination, and the power. Of, she has a great essay on the power of the magic of statues, mm-hmm. the significance of statues. I'd actually love to get her thoughts on what's going on right now culturally with removing. You showed me today oh, sure. Gandhi. They yeah, took down yeah, yeah, yeah. Gandhi. As of right now in Ghana, Africa, they were removing a Gandhi statue for alleged racist roots. And yeah. I don't know if he was racist. He was definitely sexist. I think a lot of the gurus we find, you know, in that <laughs> we find that a lot from Osho to you know, the list goes on and on. I know a lot of devotees that have gone through these orders, Dude, very peaceful orders, to only to find out that the guru is... That stuff's alive and well, man. A couple of years ago, my aunt called me up out of the blue, and she's like, if a parent grabs their child's ass, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a whoopsie. What? <laughs> I was like, it's a whoopsie? She's like, yes. It's not like it's sex. It's just a whoopsie. Oh, my goodness. It's my aunt. She teaches yeah. high school. Wow. This stuff is, and you know, I come from a radically liberal family that mm-hmm. you think would be up in arms with this stuff. But they're just like, shush, shush. Weird. <laughs> Yo, there's so many things that are alive and well that people don't talk about, right? And I think that for We're example, talking about it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, for example, I mean, all the unrest <coughs> that's happening right now, um, you know, the argument is that it's years and years of unraveling and all it took was. You know, a few events to set everything into motion. I'm moving this closer to you because you, you talk quieter than me. Got it. I've been I've been getting my volume up doing <coughs> lectures and classes all the time, every day. And uh, sorry, what are you saying? Oh, I just said you know I think obviously there's pent up aggression and like we were just talking about hidden things like that, the shush shush in your family. I think that so much society <laughs> shushes things, you know what I mean? It's, it's not it. just my family, bro. I think it's a lot of families. <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just might not get that phone call. Totally. They, they're, totally. they're thinking it. It's a weird time, man. I, I, I do look forward to that leaving our culture a bit more if possible. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
it's evolution, you know. Come on, people. I think that, you know, of our generation, we didn't really see a lot of this kind of thing. I mean, the, the parents of the 60s and 70s, they grew up in it. They protested the war. Are they going to start and... burning all the early James Bond films? <laughs> well, it's already happening. Yeah, I mean, gone with the History wind. continues to, sen- you know, erase itself and censor itself. Did you hear about the digital book burning that's going on? Yeah, the NPR. Amazon? Yeah. Amazon's being accused of digital book burning because they're banning certain books and yeah. deciding who reads what and that is that's not very cool no i mean we we run the risk i mean and, and i see even a lot of uh, occultists uh, talking about it right now and jumping on the bandwagon really and, and i find myself at what point does occult books become the next thing that we burn and then then are you going to stand up and and you know fight for your freedom yeah folks be careful for what you cheer for because they always come for you eventually almost always in history well i think that's there's i can't remember the quote but the the gentleman um was was a german and he was in uh, he was he was a i believe a clergyman at the time and he said that you know at first they you know they did this and then they did that and then i didn't care bonhoeffer bonhoeffer was it was a really amazing theologian in, in german a Lutheran clergyman, I believe. Yeah, and uh, he was hung just before the end of the war. He they kept delaying his. This guy fled, but I, the, the quote is is something to the effect of you know at first they were after the businesses and I didn't care because yeah. I wasn't a businessman. Then they were after the Jewish people. I wasn't Jewish, so I didn't care. Then they came after the church, and by that time there was nobody to help, no one to stand up and say no. And I think that that's what's crawling under the skin of a lot of people in the nation when they see everything that's happening. You know, personally, my own opinion is that if tearing down all the statues, you know, eliminates racism in our country, in whatever form is left, I think that's great if it works. Could you imagine if all we need to do is tear down the statues and then racism's gone? Yeah. (laughs) And meanwhile, you know, we're racking up millions and billions of dollars in damages and everything else in these communities that really need a lot of these institutions. I mean... In some communities, the Target's the only place that you can actually shop. Oh. And when that burns down, that's 300 workers that don't have a job now. Um, I heard that Walmart, for example, in Chicago is not planning on returning. They're not going to rebuild. They're going to relocate it to another city. So there's all these implications. I mean, look at NASCAR. You see their response? NASCAR, of all uh, institutions, basically got they got rid of their Confederate flag, which is fine. I, who really cares, right? Um, but what they did is yeah, they... That's an American issue. I'll let you guys handle that. <laughs> yeah. They got rid of the, the southern flag, and then they said, you know, they stand in solidarity. And I'm thinking of the fans of NASCAR people. I mean, if there are any... <laughs> I mean, there is always been kind of some hidden racism in NASCAR, and it's a total white person sport. I mean... <laughs> well, they, this, it's such a big deal. About that, that, that They're like, no, no, we have a black guy. We have a black driver. Totally. And and you know what? I was talking to my mom just the other day, and we some of this stuff came up, right? And I was like, yeah, but I was like, but mom, you went to high school. You went. You grew up in West Vancouver. That's like so white bread racist. It's not funny. Like if you jog down Marine Drive in West Vancouver, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, Malkovich, they all have houses there. You will smell in like six blocks of jogging every one of the most expensive perfumes on the planet. Like yeah. thousands of dollars for a bottle, that sort of stuff. And she was like, we weren't racist at all. We had a black person, and we all really liked her. Oh and I just goodness. stayed silent, and she's like, oh, I see your point. <laughs> I had, uh, I, I'm lucky enough to have through hip-hop. When, in, when in you can or are choosing to count the number of 
a person, people of color you have, like, that's where you see some stuff going on, right? Totally. These communities are not open. First of all, we, of course, we don't have actually many, many black people in Canada, but we have a lot of First Nations people. And you don't see them in those schools. Not mm-hmm. at all. Not a fucking chance. Well, they're usually funded. I mean, you have a better chance, believe it or not, of economically coming from, like, Kenya and coming into the U.S. than you, you do if here. you grew up here in LA. It's amazing. It's just, it's interesting. Yeah, maybe amazing is the, the wrong word. <laughs> no, I mean, it is. It's, you know. It's, 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 I think we're forgetting the opportunities that, that are still provided by the Western world. Well, that's the other thing too. Is it like I have a I have a couple friends that came from Ghana, uh, and they come here and they're like, "This is like heaven." Heaven. Like anything heaven. is better than going back to where they were. Yeah, and um, dude, like even you or I. I mean, if you if you just if you sold your kids and and, <laughs> and traded your wife away, you could just move to Denmark and go get a PhD for free mm-hmm. in any subject you want for free. Totally. They'll even help you pay for your living expenses. You're like, but I'm a foreigner. They'll be like. That's why we have the English programs. It's like, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. Yeah. So no one's stopping you in the West. No, I it's mean... It's not like freaking China. I think that's the problem is it's so self-driven that if you don't catch the self-driven motivation of the U.S., then you, you fall into the system. The system is made for people to be self-motivated based on our capitalism. Yeah. It's kind of like when you look at um, technology. I mean, why is the U.S. so insanely you know, trend-setting when it comes to... Uh, technology because of the factories in china it's well it, that <laughs> no because of entrepreneurism yes of you, course. you don't see that in a lot of other countries no one of my mentors is an italian entrepreneur he mentored me through a lot of marketing and stuff and they hate entrepreneurialism is like being a, like almost you may as well have a picture of mussolini in your house yeah i mean there are bad people it's like what's wrong with just having enough why do you need more that's the mentality in, in italy and so, it, yeah, so now he lives in dubai <laughs> That's, that's, a, that's a valid concern too. I mean, like, are we ready for some of the technologies we have, like AI and deepfake technology? I mean, the fact that you could frame me with your phone using deepfake technology with my face and say something. But wouldn't it be nice if career? people start making high quality deepfakes, like of you and I giving amazing lectures? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always the there's always the, the flip side of the technology. I mean, look at look at what Facebook did. Twitter. I mean, Twitter's become the outlet for the president, and I mean, that's just insane. I mean, these yeah. technologies have also equ- um, equaled out the playing field, too. I mean, if you go to the poorest city in the United States, you look, we all got the same phone. We all got, you know what I mean? There's certain technologies where that's everywhere. The poorest people in this country have an iPhone. Yeah. You know? And I love, I've said this before, we've actually, with the iPhones and with the smartphones, Surpassed the best technology that we envisioned in Star Trek. Yeah. Like, remember Picard's like, it has all of Shakespeare's works. And we're like, <laughs> today we'd be like, that's it? Cool. That's what it's got? Rem- remember the encyclopedia, right? I mean, oh, I, I mean, the phone and Wikipedia just blew that out of the water. No, no one has an encyclopedia. So I remember when we were kids, everybody had the big Britannica set, and you were looking up words left and right. And well, it's online now. Well, you even got, you know, Google spell checking you and even grammar checking you. Have I you seen the new one? I don't let them do that because their grammar is worse than mine. They have a new one that they just want got integrated. They use a certain style of grammar. And I'm gonna, if I use a certain style of grammar mm-hmm. in a certain place, it's for a reason. It's for a motherfucking reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
but it just goes to tell you how much they're trying to improve the writing skills of the nation because people don't write anymore. Like, if I say thereof, I'm dog whistling. I just learned what dog whistles are. I know I'm way behind the times. Canadians don't 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 <laughs> don't do this dance, America. We just we just we do a different dance. We do compelled speech and we sue comedians. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, but we, we we fix your broken arm for free. So good and bad. You can't have it uh, all. Yeah, yeah. You can get. We'll fix your arm for free, but you you gotta say J if the person wants. We to should say. make a list. You go to Denmark for the free education. You go to Canada for your broken arm. Yeah. You come to USA to well, be what's an entrepreneur. Well, Mr. Bowling for Columbine did that whole thing where he went around and did a positive documentary. He went to all the countries and looked at what's good in the world. Mm-hmm. You know. We need more of that. He's like, can we invade the, your country? And he had a flag. Well, Michael Moore, right? Oh, yeah. I actually got to hang out with him after a writer's conference in 1996. Wow. Before anyone knew who he was. His complaint was that the book he had just put out, they graphically used digital technology to remove a, a, a blemish on his face. And he was like, he was upset by that. He's like, that's not my thing. And this is years before he was famous. From This is all he had done back then was like Canadian bacon with John Candy. <laughs> that great film, amazing film. Yeah, definitely. I hated it at the time, but now as I'm older, I'm like, that's so awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, but if I say thereof, I'm actually sort of dog whistling to people who have read, who are fans of that period of writing, and making a joke at the same time. I'm making totally. a joke. Yeah, I'm also, you know, I'm saying also the content I just wrote that I ended with the thereof <laughs> is a, it's a joke. It's a fucking joke. Yeah, and that's the problem. With when that. I was 18, it wasn't a joke. I thought I was being like hardcore legit mm-hmm. but that's because all I was reading was like Dion Fortune and WB8s and Mathers Crowley all the you know sure yeah Herman Hesse those early translations of Nietzsche mm-hmm yeah good stuff um yeah, what, what, what did you read when you were a teenager I think what started me was the the book Self-Realization it's like about Zen Buddhism oh yeah that's what kind of first opened up my mind into esoterics uh, but but my yeah, for, my for upbringing me it was thus spoke Zarathustra. My upbringing was different because my my mom and dad both went to Catholic high school and were super raised by strict uh, Catholics. I was baptized Catholic, and the minute I was uh, born and baptized, because my grandmother really you know had to happen like this had to happen for me, they moved away, and my mom and dad are not practicing you know any religion. They just I think they had such a bad experience in the Catholic high schools. Yep. So when it, my brother actually was an altar boy, I heard that story. My brother was an altar boy. Went through the, you know, did all the catechisms and stuff. And um, for me, my parents just decided to let me figure out life on my own as far as spirituality goes. Um, so it was actually better for me because I didn't have a lot of unweaving to do. I meet a lot of folks that you know came in with you know Christian backgrounds or this backgrounds, and they had a lot of trouble navigating the occult because so many things they had to fight based on their previous you know knowledge and what they learned so for me i just i looked into everything and the self-realization buddhist thing was the first thing that really got my brain like whoa there's so much more to everything in life than what i'm experiencing yeah and i think that naturally led me into the occult i mean to me it was never a dark scary thing it was like the way yeah I think that's a good thing for young people out there to hear yeah I mean that's what Catholicism and Christianity tries to do it tries to navigate you through the occult I mean it's just under a different name right it's 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 the the raising the individual and then you know 
like for example in Catholic, in Catholic schools you actually understand when you become a man because of the rites that happen to you and nowadays nobody has it's like you're 18 you get out of high school and alright and a lot of people don't really have that marking in their life that they've grown up that you're now an adult but for example in native communities they'll send you off and you got to go fend for yourself for two nights or three nights come back and when you come back from that experience you've been initiated you're a changed person you're now a grown-up I think that the US doesn't have anything like that you know, if anything it's a race to be a kid as long as you can right? and people are afraid of, of death so much I mean the look at the the way people look nowadays like an, a 70 80 year old woman does makeup like they're 30 or 40 and you can't tell old anybody everyone's got dyed hair every, everyone is so afraid to be what they are naturally yeah yeah it's, it's, it's interesting to me well I mean we could uh, we could we could get into the gender thing but that's <laughs> close to home and we are at your home and there there's multiple levels of meaning to that but well, I, you know I think that privacy is kind of gone out the window and there's there's privacy used to be valued I think I mean I remember when I was growing up the choice of gender wasn't even there I, there was so much stuff going on in your brain when you're going to school you know girls and everything else that you're like I couldn't even imagine like am I even a boy like that's yeah. that's perplexing yeah. and, and I'm not negating anyone that has that in fact my when my I was son like 13 everyone I looked well basically 13 to 28 people usually thought I looked like an ugly girl like people have written <laughs> blog posts about running into me on tour and describe me saying that at first they thought I was just an ugly girl wow yeah wow and I was like dude I gave you a t-shirt and a free CD when you picked us up when our VW broke down because we had one of the hippie bands mm -hmm. 73 yeah it <laughs> broke down on the on the oh dude like when the the battery and the light side because they we fixed it and they didn't reconnect the the alternator to the battery so we ground to a halt on the uh, oh yeah we're not in, I just remember we're not in fucking Canada you I was like about to be like dude it's on this freeway going through the Rockies like out of hope and then uh, I just realized we're in America we're in fucking California hi folks coming to you from California uh, Sebastopol uh, <laughs> so yeah but if you knew what I'm talking about like the train tracks so I get out of the, the van I stop it's dead of night you can't see shit the lights were flickering going down these winding roads under in cave tunnels and stuff and we stop wheel off the road I get out there's this much, an inch and a half from the front tires to a cliff going down about 400 feet down wow. to train tracks and a rocky. That's how close we came to dying. Mm -hmm. And someone picked this up and then wrote this blog post. So, you know, if someone had phrased to me like the issue of am I a girl back when I was 13, when I started looking that mm -hmm. way, I guess, because it was kind of the undiagnosed celiac disease had my body fucking getting warped gotcha. like I was not developing like a normal not no not only just like a normal man but like a normal human being with mm -hmm. that kind of undiagnosed immune disorder right sure. you're not yeah. you're absorbing five percent of nutrients tops so you, you eat a bowl of broccoli and you you got daggers in your stomach wow you know you know I was shocking me I would I would always be like you know that thing when after you eat and you have massive sharp pains in your stomach and my buddies would all be like no mm -hmm. <laughs> no you, we feel great after we eat I'm like, <laughs> I think something's wrong with me but everyone be like no you just need to eat less candy and less soda <laughs> yeah um i don't know what the point of all that was but no you were saying now you know at that age you couldn't imagine having to you know, right the having to 
being told that I, I, I don't have a gender and I need to choose one, I don't know what I said. And like, you know, and again, you, you know, I have, I have lots of trans friends and have my had my whole life. It's never been a, never been something even wasn't an issue i guess yeah no i mean i guess the idea is that some things of course you're dealing with it on another level yeah no i mean i my my son is trans so i mean i'm totally sensitive to it and he's my son i I refer to him as my son and we we even my youngest kids have have been trained to kind of you know use the right name and the right gender and they they get it to them it's old news now it's it is what it is do you think this is just like the results of cosplaying? I know that probably sounds so. No, I, I think gave, that I think I, I just I, I tried do, to say, I, I tried to be insightful and funny, but I think I might have just come off transphobic. I so. do believe that there are legitimate cases of people who of literally course. from from the day of birth, of course, all the way their life realize like I don't belong to body. But so I think many all old traditions of souls being in the so-called wrong body, like yeah. this is a this goes way back yeah. um, to the Greek temples. I mean, didn't they have a Chris Bennett covers this in one of his documentaries, I think, or maybe it was someone, I don't know. I've been consuming so much content these days, who knows where it comes <laughs> from, but, like, there was a sacred roles of these of people who, like, you know... Oh, people. in some cultures, I mean, look at Thailand. I mean, the lady boys of Thailand go back long, India long still has three time. genders. They always yeah. have had three genders, male, yeah. female, and other. And I don't see why the rest of us couldn't just be like, yo, that makes sense. Oh, exactly. And I think I spoke to you a little bit last night. There's, It's not all just pretty... You know, Last night's sort of a blur. <laughs> well, well, for example, you know, when my, my son started going through the process of, of you know, becoming a boy, um, a lot of people don't realize that there's bullying in these communities where the kids that have had more testosterone or done certain surgeries actually think they're more of the gender than their friends that are trying to become that gender and there's actually hazing right bullying within which is just it blew my mind when my kid comes home crying from school because because, other trans kids are saying you're less trans than us well because it's basically because the parents were more progressive about the decision making they were like hey if you're you think you're a boy right now 13 years old let's just go ahead and do it they're doing it just like that and me and Kristen. You know, we obviously want biology to take place, and when you're an adult, if you want to change it, you can. Because I think we do need to listen to the people who have who are regretting, and there's a lot of them. There are a lot of them. There's a lot that don't regret, and we, I just we need to listen to everybody. We well, definitely need to listen more these days. In definitely. general, listen. Jesus Christ. Well, um, I have another friend that had a gender assignment years ago, and I think the one thing to take home from my conversations with her is that. Even after the surgeries, even after the um, the estrogen and everything else that she took, she deal- still doesn't feel comfortable in her body. So it's not like all of a sudden you get this operation and you're like, yeah, I'm done. It's, it's not that easy, is it? It becomes a whole lifelong yeah. learning lesson, which essentially the- is what the occult is. You're learning who the hell you are in a way. I like and nice, nicely yeah. done how you brought it back to me. <laughs> I didn't necessarily need to depart into your uh, personal experience with uh, no, that's that's fine. with stuff. But it's I think it's uh, I think it's it's powerful to talk about it, especially it when, is uh, because when we talk about it, because we you and I both talk about it from the point of view I think of just I'm learning. We're learning. Yeah, we're, we're learning about learning. our fellow human beings, and that's all it is. And it's it's some things I think should be left in the closet so to speak your personal life choices i mean it's not it's very common nowadays that you run into somebody that says this is my name this is my gender this is my sexuality and it's like whoa like i just want to meet you 
I don't know that I have to know all of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a kind a of a few raw times. Example. I have pointed out to people like I think it's not necessarily fair or even appropriate, maybe, to assume that I want to know about your sexuality when I meet right, like uh, an average straight person. The last thing we talk about is our sexuality, and we don't know if each other's straight because we don't care. It's not a point. So there is a weird thing going on where it's like I need to identify who I am to I need you to know who I am. And moreover, in Canada, we have this problem of if you don't then refer to me the exact way I say, it's not just a sign of disrespect. I can have you arrested and sue you in court, and I will fucking win. That's where I get like Jesus Christ. This is well, look, this is a problem, man. Cons- compelled speech is a problem. Yeah, and it's, it's not a gender issue; it's a freedom issue. And I guess that people call that. A, I guess I'm sounding like a well, certain it's, it's kind an, of person it's there, an but I'm not. Inclusion. I just yeah. it's an inclusion situation because look at it, it's grown. We got it went from bi digital book burning and to LGBTQ queer plus. That's fine. And now it's actually breaking apart because well, some because people fighting well, it. people think that the original gays and lesbians aren't getting the attention because of all the, these other flavors that have been added. Well, there's to the, the popular fold. saying, which is actually hard to deal with, which is that the people are saying, and some people said that the trans movement is actually a men's right movement because there's all these men yeah. who have snuck into things like sports and stuff like this, and really it's just maybe men who uh, some of them some of the guys out there are just dudes who want attention those were some of the extreme examples that just they're outliers it's it's just it's terrible I mean you see these guys that you know they're boxers and they convert to female and then they win the whole league and they beat the crap there's recently a ruling that has set a precedent that's going to be quite significant and it might be historic and stuck in my roots if I saw someone like in in the octagon beating the shit out of my sister and knowing that they had I would be I would be fucking bloodthirsty exactly yeah you know, and i think there's and people like, taking advantage the person of who just beat up my sister's actually like been had a male body for 25 30 years before this i would be fucking furious definitely yeah of course that's my fucking sister and that's what's blurring the lines the legal systems aren't ready for it they weren't no you know. well you, you you're the, the leaders of countries generally don't even understand the internet that whole zuckerberg testimony really showed that they don't understand yeah they're like but how do you make money he's like Senator, we run ads <laughs> in between drinking water like a robot yeah. that can't consume fluids. Totally. <laughs> Need oil change. <laughs> um, and, and that's that's another segue there. I mean, without the internet, would all this be the way that it is? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Let's take a, a quick break and yeah. we'll get back to that. So, yeah, okay, I don't know if we remember where we were, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. <clears throat> To go back to your Christian point, you turn things back to the occult and we somehow got wrapped up in the modern... Well, I think that that's really what the occult can be used for is is, is really finding out the true nature of yourself, you know. So much of this this gender experiment stuff is still, I think, based on ego. You know, it's trying to figure out who you are. And, you know, for example, my, my son's gone through, I think, three different name changes in the process, you know, and... The whole family has learned to use the proper names and address him the way he that's, wants to be addressed. That's interesting, actually. And we do it I went through all these name changes most people know when I was around your son's age. Mm-hmm. But it was because my mom was got into Cavalarian numerology, which nothing, <laughs> no relationship awesome. to the law, and decided to do this to me. And I was like, if you have a problem with it, you can do what you want when you're 18. 
because parents can just willy-nilly change their kids' names sure. when they're young. But now it's kids dictating to the parents what their name's going to be. That's such a shift from when you and I grew up in the well, 80s. Well, I mean, some, something, like, for example, my last name is Grossman. And, like, I thought growing up, like, I was, was going to get a bunch of heat. And early it, on, people would be like, Grossman, Gross. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little kid, right? Yeah. But it's a name I lived with, and I wasn't like, I'm going to change my name. And it didn't really actually affect me much in my life at all. Dude, you know what my childhood name was? Like, my first last name, before hmm. all the name changes? Do you know? Precious. Oh, wow. Isn't that awesome? That's great. I loved it, actually. I was so choked when my mom first changed my name. But she said it would cure me of my depression with our dad being AWOL with this abusive woman, right? She's like, this will, you know, I was suicidal at 12. Wow. And she's like, this will fix you. And I'm like, sure. Because what if you're actually depressed and suicidal, you don't give a fuck. Yeah, well, that could be a fresh start. I, I get it. I mean, depression's a real thing, and it exists even in the most successful people. I mean, I think a lot of people hide, you know, the, the feeling down about themselves. You know? And name changes could be part of the process of, yeah. of restarting, rebirthing, you know, kind of like the phoenix. I think it just made me weird because I was already sort of, I was gothy. Mm-hmm. I played, like, Mind's Eye Theater improv acting kid, you know. Well, it's interesting you're making me think because, you know, my, my side project is heavy metal and I've been in the heavy metal scene for, you know, about 15 years now. Yeah. And in that scene, the occult is everywhere, but very few people actually they don't know, know what it is, what it. the symbols are. Yeah. It's just, it's so interesting to be ingrained in a culture that's just full of occult symbolism, but very few people have actually studied the occult. In fact, um, members of my band, you know, are, like know that I'm into occultism, and they're like, whoa. And you're kind of like, whoa, I mean, every band that we have is talking about this and that, you know, devils and de- demonology and this and that, but very few, all the band names, all the references, but very few people have ever picked up Agrippa and actually read, you know, any of these books and know anything about it. It's just subculture, and I think that that's really the, what the um, community of gays, lesbians, transgender, queer, is, is become, it's kind of, it reminds me of like punk rock when I was a kid, it's like, it's its own subculture, You've got tons of support behind it. Everything that's not included is kind of anti. And it creates this, yeah, I'm with the group. And I think we all long to be in groups. I mean, that's why gangs are so prevalent. Orders have been with us in fraternities forever. Because people want to belong. I mean, being the solitary occultist isn't necessarily the most satisfying of goals, you know, for... Oh, no. As soon as I, you know, had made my way through Cunningham's solitary practitioner and... R.J. Stewart's Celtic Magic, I was like, all right, I'm a druid witch, I need a coven, and I talked to my buddies, and we had a, we had a bro coven, with, uh, we, it was me and Dan Klein, and then we, he got Dave French in, who was a Satanist, which meant he owned a copy of LeVay's book, and <laughs> clearly had a good metabolism, could handle masturbating four times in a row to open his <laughs> circle, and I was like, I don't know about him, he's like, no, he's a good guy, you'll see, and, and we, we did a lot of amazing celebrations of the Sabbaths and just some other stuff. Of course, I always did my rituals and my Sabbath work for spiritual transformation and development, and they always did it to, Dan, you know, Dan was always about, like, sexual potency, and Dave French was, like, getting a girl and stuff. That's what they did, but that's what it didn't matter. We, we'd create, you know, elementaries and, like, little fairies. We'd create, we'd, we'd spend, we'd, you know, mm-hmm. we'd be out in the forest on Samhain and, like, dripping candle wax that we were holding in a grove out in the bushwhacked wilderness from midnight to, like, 5 a.m., We'd be pouring candle wax on our hands just so that they would warm a bit. 
that's how cold it would be in the rain <laughs> as we're like creating this energetic elementary familiar to work for us because I was about to head off to Vienna and stuff and we wanted the spirit to go between us so we were like oh it's got to be really strong and you know that's what we knew how to do that's all we knew how to do and you know right away I needed a group and then you know they weren't hardcore enough for me and so eventually I well, the got group, into the Golden Dawn the group mentality is an interesting one right because at the end of the day we're doing solitary work for the most part but there's still this longing to be with other minds that are thinking like you, because once you... The work was so much more powerful. The three of us worked on our, our psychic development, clairsentience or clairvoyance, and like they were both seers. They could see stuff. If I visualized a colored ball in my hands, they would look over and they would nail it off. By, after a year of working together, nailed the color 100% of the time. That's yeah, crazy. That, that doesn't make sense scientifically. I still don't make sense of this. Well, I think science is still catching up. Yeah. Well, I look forward to science figuring out dreams, deja vu, and all of that stuff. Yeah, and I think you know quantum physics is definitely going to be one of the sciences that are going to lead Dude, us there. I've been texting with the leading engineer for dark matter viewing that's happening right now. Like it's they put it on hold, but her and her husband are the PhDs, the main dark matter. And I've been texting with her because she's Arissa's daughter, Granny Rainbow's daughter. Mm -hmm. Is like she just designed five thousand lenses that they're launching and setting up in Texas. Like this is all like top of the line legit like the fact that I met these two people is a fluke of flukes but they're the head dark matter people and I was like I said to her I was like so so what are you gonna do what can do we, what do you think dark matter is gonna be able to do and she's like oh that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to see it we're just trying to see it yeah I'm like and she's like once we see it we'll know a lot like it'll take maybe a hundred years to figure out the significance of everything we learn from seeing it mm-hmm I'm like that's trippy. I'm like, we really only see like a bit of reality. She's like, you see less than 5% of reality. Definitely. I'm like, that's just so amazing. I feel like every time I talk to the people like that, I feel like Duncan Trussell and go like, wow. Well, it's, that's, wow. The, that's what's cool about those extreme science uh, folks. Like for example, I do presentations on light and sound for the Rosicrucians in uh, San Francisco. And I'm always amazed by the people that come to these lectures. I mean, head of the physics department, San Francisco State came to my lecture and was just wowed by it, and and they they were very much into esoterics. They and this because just because you're you're giving a cursory glance at science, exactly yeah. a different shade of using the science. Science is magic. The science is it proves magic, and I think that as these things get closer and closer, we're going to find out that they're. And kind we're of not talking in a in a in a what the bleep do you know kind of BS way. No, no, definitely not. Just to be clear to our valued audience and whenever I talk to these leading researchers that come to these presentations esoterics is how they forward think I mean you get stuck and when you, if you're stuck in just academics on its own you get stuck in a black box and you have to expand your mind outside of that that's one of the things that I one of the things I love about the uh, scholars I'm sharing with people on this podcast is some of their essays because a lot of them are point have been pointing out and pointing out for a long time and this is what Hanograph's, uh, the thing I'm dropping today at 444. Mm -hmm. Dropping, I guess, now while we're recording this. Um, or maybe it's Claire Fanger who, who will drop the day after tomorrow. Anyway, one of them pointed out that the reason we need to study this stuff scientifically or even academically is to have a better understanding of history. And I clicked to me, I was like, wow, we've been giving so many arguments for so long about why we need to include all this excluded information and redacted information like Chris Vance doing with the history of drugs and stuff and psychedelics because 
it gives us an actual more accurate understanding of history and I was like that's actually the only thing that's relevant yeah we don't need any other argument for why this stuff needs to be observed and studied except for the fact that it gives us a more accurate understanding of history that's the argument well, and no the other reason is fucking needed I agree and at the same time the people that are creating the future are sci-fi writers well, that's another I mean, thing that's these the trip that people out. don't really think Academics about. Academics are pointing this out. It's the, it's yeah. the fringes of every movement. Uh, and Angela Voss talks about this in one of her YouTube lectures. It's, it's always the, the people on the fringes of every group. Actually, no, I think it was one of the new uh, McLean lectures from the GD. One of the people talked about it there. I don't remember mm -hmm. who. It's always the people on the fringes of masonry and all these other things that do the push the envelope. And it's like, like Newton with his study of alchemy. Mm -hmm. Newton was mad into alchemy yeah, and fall and, his later and as a result of that figured these things out just like Einstein was actually always interested in mysticism of and course. understanding God Definitely. and that's somehow that encouraged him to think outside the box well I mean look at sci-fi books of the early 30s and 40s I mean like for when you look back at the ancients and they looked at the moon they thought that there were there were beings up there but what did they use to transport they had boats There's beings up there man they're called Nazis they have look, a secret base <laughs> they had boats, and they, they believed that these people were obviously riding around in boats. You know, and then you look at how we look at aliens nowadays, or extra you know, terrestrial beings, we think they have spaceships, because that's what we use to fly in the air. So even the way we think about a lot of these concepts are only mirrors of how we understand movement and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it was someone, someone recently, I was, I, it was someone who said, I don't know, maybe it was Hancock or something, like, they were never big into aliens, but as soon as they did DMT, they're like, yeah, there's aliens. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely aliens. I'm not even interested I in mean, the idea of... Even mainstream thinkers like Musk you think that there's, like, aliens among us. I mean, even these real Musk smart... Musk needs to do DMT. I, I, I think he probably has. I he thinks that with Joe Rogan enough. <laughs> I don't think he has it. I don't think he's done it. <laughs> But even your your cell phone, I mean, that's straight out of Star Trek. We're recording this on a on a, on an iPhone. On an iPhone that was dreamed up in a sci-fi novel back yeah. in the nineteen thirties. And made by a guy who jumped off the roof and fell onto a net. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to stop this this <laughs> sweatshop thing, man. I think maybe we got to figure out a way to do that. Maybe it's not possible, but you know, I have faith in humanity in itself. I mean. Really? We're seeing troubled times, but I remember, like, for example, look at the old Edison campaigns against Nikola Tesla. I mean, DC power was considered bad. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, AC power, they thought was going to burn down all the neighborhoods. All these flyers went up yeah. about how the minute the phone lines are going to give us cancer, they're going to kill us. Bro, the suppression of scientists who are studying and developing Tesla's ideas right now is crazy. Yeah. The suppression of their research and like they're, you can see them demonstrating stuff and people are like, oh no, it's faked. It's faked. It's all well, video Because there's no faked. profit behind it. It's like, it. it's, I don't think it's all faked. No. I'm pretty sure it's not all faked. These are legit scientists. Tesla was a humanitarian. Demonstrating some of his theories that he couldn't demonstrate due to lack of technology back then. Well, he was suppressed too. I mean, Dude, died he, alone the guy was... In room 333. The, the guy was a genius, but not monetarily driven at all. So Edison, just like he did with so many other people, came across him and said, oh, that's a cool idea. I'll give you a hundred bucks for that. So you with your nice library and your recording studio and your house and your... 3.5 kids or you're basically the Edison to my Tesla well, the, the branding that, that's the US I mean look at can like, I call you Edison <laughs> well for example like 
most goods and services come from a small variety of factories. In fact, look at brands like, you know, Kirkland and stuff like that. I mean, these are the factories that make all the food, but if you put a craft symbol on that, and craft has, you know, a history of being in the cheese industry, and in everybody's mind when they think cheese, they think craft. If they put a craft label on that, all of a sudden people will buy it more than even the factory direct stuff. Only now when, you know, almost like like when the Great Depression happened and when people, recessions happened, people actually buy the cheaper brands. My generation veered completely from it. I mean, we came from Best Foods, and I know you're, you're from Canada, so there's probably some different brands, but we all had household brands. And all our brands are just this yellow packaging straight out of communism. No. <laughs> Three flavors of ice cream. <coughs> but but I, mean, I hate, for some reason, we have way more varieties of weed than you do in the States. I know everyone in America is going to be outraged when I say that, but I'm like, if you don't believe me, go to fucking Vancouver. I mean, Seriously. Yeah, it's a whole other issue. I mean, Dude, we have so much weed in British Columbia. It's absurd. Like, now people have gone back to street dealers because the government, with the legalization, are charging, like, 14 to 15 to 20 bucks a gram, and it's dried up, and it's in, like, four layers of plastic packaging. Yeah. And people are, like, call the street, or their old street dealer buddy or whatever, and they're like, yo, what's an ounce go for? They're like, yo, I could do you one for 50 right now. For an ounce. And it's like, oh, what? Why? Oh, because the government doesn't, didn't take its cue from all the people that caused the legalization to actually go through didn't learn from how they've been doing it and is trying to reinvent the wheel, literally. Well, not literally. I mean, the weed industry is funny. I mean, So these, the, all the growers can't sell enough of their, their yeah. quantities because the government hasn't figured it out yet. So the, there's been a resurgence of the illegal trade. Oh, the black trade. market. Same here yeah. in California. People I know, times. they all have garbage bags in their house full of weed. They'll yeah. be like, you'll be like, hey, can I get some weed? Here's 20 bucks. And they'll just like give you a huge bag and you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. I smoke like three days a week so it's like I mean, rare and then like that will last me a month that's a whole nother interesting issue i mean i agree we should be legal i mean it's a fucking plant right but why the medical angle it's not just the plant it might be the sacrament but i mean the, the medical of most world religions it's like 90 percent of this pot is going to people who smoke pot either previously and now like want to buy it legally because they don't want to deal with the shadiness of buying the black market how many people do you know that only smoke pot for medicinal reasons? This is probably like 2% of new people that finally, like your grandma that maybe was thought it was the devil's lettuce and now it's okay because I can go to the store and buy it. It helps with my arthritis or something like that. Or helps my appetite if I Dude, have. my mom got a card to get the ointments for her arthritis and like that's so revolutionary that my mom would do that because she was Miss, you know, yeah. transcendental meditator and like anti-everything. My parents never even, I never saw them have a drink my whole life. Exactly, and you know, I and I, and I don't she's deny got her weed lotions and her bottle of Fireball, you know, her cancer treatment. <laughs> That's her cancer treatment. And a I mean, a Fireball and a little weed ointment and uh, her stories. And so you're seeing how these <laughs> things are happening. They're getting, you know, they're slid in under medical angles and different things. Like, I, like I literally have friends that I bought pot from in high school that never stopped growing weed and now have empires. They're like literally rich off of this they never stopped being a drug dealer and now they're like looked up as a respectable employer in business but you know what's interesting I, I checked out Hassan Minaj's uh, recent Patriot Act episode on Netflix mm -hmm. on the weed industry and it's like being totally monopolized by all these fucking white dudes 
totally like, it's, it's so bad it's like, because what? the guys that already were doing it had a head start on the whole thing and the first people that got the lawyers were the first people they got they're they're there's only a certain amount that can be out there. It's kind of like an alcohol license. If you and I want to start a bar in this town, we have to petition for months and wait and wait and wait until someone goes out of business. Yeah. Before we can even spend $150,000 so for a license just to even serve it to be monitored by the ABC and everything so else. So my buddy became the guy in charge of giving those licenses out in Vancouver. And when uh, the Irish pub and the Irish mafia sort of screwed me over because they wanted only actual Irish born musicians to play from now on in the city mm -hmm. and not plastic patties as they refer to me so kindly as a result i put out an album called proud plastic patty oh that's great which is like my fuck you to the irish bank your irish mafia yeah. um and uh man it's a hot day oh it's hot it's so much, sure. i hope i don't burn you think i'm gonna burn i think you're okay okay i don't wanna but i mean there's all sorts of, i mean i burned my legs so bad a couple months ago it took months to heal and it's still discolored damn no, I just I got to the beach the other day. I'm still fucking peeling from it. But I mean, I it's think like it's almost forty degrees. It feels like at least thirty-eight degrees right now. Celsius. All oh, right. <laughs> I keep thinking we're in Vancouver. Like seriously, I think it's because like, you have such a nice home here. You started doing metric on me now too. <laughs> Dude, the I US wear a size funny. forty-six shoe, and if you have a problem with that, you can suck it. It's precise. <laughs> Precise. Because if I go like 11, 12, 13, I can wear uh, some shoes designs. I'll be 11, some I'll be 13. Generally, I'm a 12 and a half. <laughs> but that's bullshit. If you just have everything is 40, like precise, 46, always fits. Mm hmm. Oh. Yeah, you could, you could, is, you could digress into that for sure. I mean, look at fashion. And I'm sure everyone's so glad they tuned into this episode. Yeah, we're all <laughs> over the place. It's great. <laughs> well, why not? We're still going to talk about our main stuff, which is Stephen Skinner versus Ashen Hassan. Versus? Are we doing a, a battle royale? What's, no, what's it's actually it's more them and Leech versus Lon Duquette. Yeah, the psychological model. Yeah, so there's the... these two ideas. Should we jump over into that? Sure, why not? Why like, not? Like, right. It's just an interesting... I, I like the question. I don't like the answers. I mm -hmm. like the question. There's Stephen Skinner, for those who don't know these people... Stephen Skinner, Dr. Stephen Skinner, yep. Frater Ashen Hassan, mm -hmm. or Ashen Chasen, Ashen <laughs> listening to the, the Adam McLean uh, lectures that just came out from the 80, 1987 Golden Dawn lecture, I was like floored, dude, by the weird-ass pronunciations, but most people in the cult say weird pronunciations. Uh, Chris I mean, Bennett, Chris Bennett, I always love it, he says origin, not as in origin, the, the, the saint, the almost saint, mm -hmm. but as in like origin, he says origin. Mm-hmm. I love the emphasis. We all, a lot of uh, cultists, and also I find with Dungeons and Dragons players, have weird pronunciations. And, and I think it's because we mess with language so much. I noticed this in linguistics in college. The linguistic scholars like have a really strange sense of, of grammar and usage, but it's because they understand the rules. They understand how they develop. They understand they're not static. Like mm -hmm. saying "ask you a question" is actually a futurist expression. It's not the result of being poorly educated in a ghetto. That's not why people say ask you a question. Mm -hmm. That's a futuristic development of the language. It's more likely that we'll all be saying ax in 100 or 200 years than that that group of people will learn the proper way of saying it. Well, and, yeah. Isn't that you're, amazing? You're, you're right. Because that's how language works. It's ever-changing, yeah. and, and you can't hold on Gibbera to anyone. Became I mean, look at, look at, from our earlier conversation, gender, for example, and addressing people. I mean, 
grammar is out the window. You like, brought it back to that, yeah, bro. Yeah. But I'm saying, as, as far as a grammar thing, I mean, we've, we've literally, as a society, changed the way that we address, and it's no longer based on classical uh, grammar. Right. I mean, it's ever moving. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and it should be moving. Language changes. We're, Deal with it, people. We're, we're, yeah, we're evolving. Everything's going to evolve with it. But, you know, back to your, your Even point. Even Anakian might make sense one day. <laughs> If enough people adopt, so we have such different pronunciations, and of course, I mean, you know, my emojis. point of view is my point of view is that to the angels, we all speak like we're we're like sound like retarded children. I think to the angels, no matter what pronunciation system you use, to the angels, we probably sound like babies talking to them. Oh, so, I'm sure. Yeah. I see it as use your own dialect. Like I was trained in GD dialect. Me and Martin famously put did an analysis, put out the call of the portal. Analysis and all that shit, and looked at things which other people still haven't really actually looked at the same stuff we looked at. I think in a in a better way, which I hope someone fucking does. And if someone has, someone message me and let me know, because you know, apparently the guy who might actually be the best linguist of Anakian is the consultant who works on Supernatural, which I found out when I consulted Interesting. with Mr. Collins, because he consulted me for the last season of Supernatural. Of course, then they got another season, and they've. Every season is the last now, which is of course brilliant marketing. Yeah, that's how everything. But um, is, yeah. yeah, I consulted on the season finale for the first time. They were going to have it, and then they were they wanted the theological view. Anyone who wants to know about that, I you can check that out on, or wants to hire me for film consulting. www.occult.consulting. Well, I mean, like you said, your dialect. For example, you know the operations you were bringing up, uh, Doctor Skinner and uh, Fratter, uh, Ash and Hassan, and and I think that. You know, when you look at the way uh, Skinner uh, attempts it, it's it's a calculated ritual. Ritual. It has to be done perfectly. There are no, you know, if ands this then that. At the same time, he he talks in a. You can tell he's really done it because the way he talks about magic, and I don't think he he did a GD training or anything any formal. No, training. he I, from what I understand, he just jumped and right in. But he has a lot of. Uh, he did Ashen, right? But, Mondal but stuff the way well. he talks in on, especially I noticed this on Glitch Bottle. The way he talks about the building up to the final stage and the necessary of repeating things or whatever. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. When like when we go into you know in the in the GD, if we go do the invocation of thought or invocation of Isis, we don't do it once. We'll do it over and over again. Oh, yeah. me and Martin had spent. We would spend hours and hours in the temple I would do we do middle pillars for hours yeah um, and then we do the invocation over and over until we felt it was invoked like you can tell you can tell when it's invoked yeah maybe it's you needing the energy versus the energy being evoked summoned to you physically and we don't know that's the debate but like you so that that idea of building up that final thing and like you were even saying Gabra Mellon it's the last two weeks which are perhaps the most crucial as you really Oh, you can. Yeah, no, I com I completely agree. Because it comes down to in intent. How bad do you want something? I mean, I think most people when they first start doing rituals, it's almost kind of like an inner laughter, because you're you're you know you're inciting these words and you're you're doing all the what am I really doing here? And I, I like mean, that phrase, inner laughter. There is because you're kind of laughing at yourself for even doing it, right? And then as you build up more and more confidence that's when it starts to work right because now you're not at, you're you're begging in a way for it you know and i think that you have, we, to, you have to speak with intent you have to want what you're what you're going for at temple Bihuti, we did legendary thought ceremonies every couple of years and uh one year we did all four aspects of thoughts we had either a portal member or, or a five six or doing each thing we had the baboon we did the full costumes and everything for, for each of them and 
that was some powerful shit. Like four different, yeah, I think it was three adepts and one portal member, all invoking different aspects of thought in the four stations, and then having putting people through a ceremony regarding those energies. It was like whoa, because mm-hmm. you know, that's that that current is just so electric and so and it's it's so unique, shocking. It's unique compared to Solomonic work because you don't need to do any training, like GD style training. To well, I think Solomonic work has a built-in training. Just it's specific. It's kind yeah. of like an Abermelon. There's it's, there's a specific. It's pretty intense. I think if you if you get to the point where you're doing Solomonic work, that's an adeptus training in itself. Yeah, it's like martial arts. For example, you can be in you know an adept in. You know, a taekwondo, for example, but not know anything about you know another style of karate, right? One of the yeah, I think actually that's, <laughs> that's a comment I made recently that actually got it's one of the few things I've said that people like because people don't generally like what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Sam Scarborough. <laughs> so there's there's different <coughs> many rivers, right? There's I I don't mind I I don't mind giving my opinions and and having people disagree with me. I and I don't mind being wrong as as you know like I love being wrong. I'm wrong about most things. <laughs> um, you should be open minded to the whole thing. I mean, like, exactly, if you're exactly. someone who believes the magic is only in your head, you yeah. should still be open minded to folks that are yeah. saying, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, don't no. mistake yeah. the confidence of and thoroughness of my argumentation for certitude. Mm-hmm. Don't, they're not the same thing. That's just the nature <laughs> of scholarly education, buddy. Like, you know, you should put the best argument forward and you should only change your mind when you've actually changed your mind, mm-hmm. right? Totally. Oh, my God. I mean, the fact that Skinner has written all that work and stands behind the physical, you know, being that you're summoning, actual physical entity, runs the risk of him losing scholarship credit, and he obviously doesn't care, so I don't see any other reason why. He obviously believes That's because he's that's a PhD, it. I think, of classics, and yeah. he's a classics PhD, and, and, and those... You know, have a certain reputation in academia. They're great with the languages and good at history. Yeah. But they're not necessarily seen as philosophers, because if they were philosophers in academics, they would often be considered to. You necessarily almost have to be a materialistic atheist in a lot of philosophical schools and traditions. Mm-hmm. If you're not an atheist and a materialist, or even dare to dare I say a scientist, then in the philosophy to most of philosophy departments of the world, outside of especially continental schools you're fucking wrong like you won't even graduate with a PhD which is mm-hmm. problematic in its own way but as a classicist everyone's like oh he studied so many Greek manuscripts he started to believe them <laughs> you know that cause that's how a lot of academics I'm sure would see scholar, uh, Skinner's practice sure but I think a lot <laughs> he of those... started to believe the, the subject of his own writing he's become a primary source I... material himself well, and, and he has and who is transcribing all these things it's practitioners wanting the information it's not like there's a big money actually there, there probably is a monetary value to it now of getting all these translations but back when people like Skinner well, were getting into grants. it yeah. and, and, and uh, Peterson in, uh, Joseph Peterson yeah. not, not Jordan yeah. the Canadian. Joseph Peterson Joseph I mean Joseph, yeah Without these guys going out and getting these things and translating them, I mean, the yeah, amount of materials that are here Mather's now. shoddy translations and Crowley's extremely flawed. Yeah, but we've been using the same bread pans that are passed down to us for so many years to the point where we don't even ask questions as to why and how. In fact, we know that even Solomonic magic, even though it's said to come from King Solomon, 
history pretty much proves that that's not the case. It was a no one actually thinks it comes from a real King Solomon. Even talking about the historical King Solomon is a bit talking about like talking about the historical Jesus. Totally, or Rosencruz, or you know, Uh, less (laughs) Rosencruz. I mean, I'm pretty less so, but still, the the mythical figure to build things upon. You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. These are the archetypes, right? And now, a word from our sponsors. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. I think that, that each culture kind of creates an archetype. Yeah. Well, yeah. There was uh, so many Jesuses. And there's Apollonius of Tyana and all these other messiahs. There's, there's always been these messiahs. Yeah, and, and the, the truth has to be rewritten to, for each you know generation or group of people that come into it. The Jesus story, for example, right now, is in this, it's probably the least popular it's ever been. Outside of the massive rise of Christian fundamentalism. You know, and in, in masonry, you've got Hiram. You know, the myth of Hiram. And that tells the same story, but uses a new new truth or a new story to tell the same truths. And I think that all of these stories can get stale, and so you know they have to be rewritten. And I think that that's what we see over and over again. Yeah. So for people who don't know, there's uh, two ways of thinking. There's Skinner, Doctor Skinner, Aaron Leach. I don't know if Joseph Peterson practices, but uh, Ashen Hassan. And, uh, oh yeah, hey, how's it going? Okay. We're doing a podcast. Yeah, no. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know when we get to the cosplay element. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's two schools of thought. We could always have a, a 15? Is 15? Yeah, maybe. We could always, is he 15? Yeah, he might come on a podcast. We could always have we'll a 15 year old guest to speak to our, he's got our a, old white men ramblings he's about got his 10,000 followers to, to follow Jesus on, fucking uh, Christ <laughs> Jesus Christ you and me just need to put on some thongs and go full uh, JP Sears man yeah we'll probably get a lot more views and definitely when I told my marketing mentors that I was going to use the dark hearts they taught me for not just academics and religion but for esoteric spirituality they're like you're not going to make any money really doing that I'm like I know and they're like did we just waste years of our lives coaching you because <laughs> it was while I was disabled that they helped me learn uh, these friends of mine who you know these guys make over 100 grand a month now on in online marketing stupid crazy fucking stupid yeah and like you know I'm like oh, it would be nice to hang out more Stefan and Stefan's like I told you how to do it you know go make the money and then we can hang out more because like I can't afford to do the things he does you know oh my god but hey I knew him when he was a, a, a shy geek sleeping on a sofa broke right and now he makes so I'm good 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 for him right yeah I mean uh, maybe I'll try and get Fleshlight to sponsor us we'll see <laughs> nice um, but Jesus Christ your uh, your son chiming in on, on gender for five minutes could actually 
could 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 like oh, yeah, no. actually turn this podcast into something that could pay its guests. Definitely. Because <laughs> that's why I want everyone to follow it on Spotify. Because then Spotify is required by law to pay. And then I I'd love to be able to like hand over like you know send fifty bucks to every guest who comes on, especially the academics because their time is so valuable. They're so underappreciated. But what they're researching like original research, original translations. It's so interesting to the occult world, and usually from the time that in which they actually do their translations and stuff, it can be five to ten to twenty years. Or in the case of uh, Parasus really revealing that Yates influenced the the weight deck and introduced weight to Coleman Smith, mm-hmm. he started that research okay. in the. Hey, what's up, big guy? Are we on the drumstick? Yeah. Okay. He started that research in the '60s as the archivist for Yates's estate and for Annie Yates as well as the secretary for the Theosophical Society of Ireland in the 60s and then didn't have the information confirmed uh, Yeats's influence and creation of the Rider weight deck essentially mm-hmm. until the eight, 1987 yeah. that's a long time 27 years to be wondering if you can prove something that's so long yeah. and then the lecture wasn't even released till the other day yeah well, it takes a long time for that stuff to Fucking come almost 60 years for us to find that out so uh, follow on Spotify or whatever donate money be great to for me to entice some more academics to share their because I know these guys people and guys and girls who are doing or people oh god Jesus uh, <laughs> who are doing amazing research and I know they're not going to tell anyone about it until it gets published and that could be who knows how long yeah I mean we are lucky that you know the occult books actually have gone up and as far as popularity uh, the market the market value is an incentive that's good definitely yeah um, keep buying books people but it, yeah keep buying books uh, but it's also become really hard to shop in some cases I mean I remember when I first got into um, occultism well yeah I, I had it's to hard get, to shop especially with Hellfire I Club think, <laughs> I've had to clear my library probably two or three times as I've kind of progressed because so much of it was just filler I oh, mean, yeah. so many books just have the same, you know, bits of information. That's why and I don't put these tables it. and shit in to fancy up my my books. I'm like, you go buy the books that have the tables. Mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't want to do filler and be like, look at all these diagrams or look at all my versions of these diagrams. Like, fuck that. Yeah. Like, seriously, and then I, I'm here to just give whatever two cents I have to give, and that two cents, in its best case, is worth a hell of a lot. True. And the rest of the time I just don't want to waste people's energy or time or, or paper well a lot of the gems are you know the good books and stuff are hidden you know you like I well was, as, as you showed me downstairs we're going to give people a little video tour of the lecture sure. of, the, of the library I mean it's the first time folks that I've ever been in a fully functioning top end recording studio and not <laughs> paid any attention to the musical side of the room because of the library thank you you've got a little uh, you've got a true arcanum secret Definitely. I try to keep up on it. As much and as like any good husband, you're smart enough to know that it belongs in the basement. Yes. Yes. That's probably why you still have a wife. <laughs> For a while longer, right? Until <laughs> the kids are graduated. Then, yeah. then you're going to become a woman. She's very supportive of and it. A gay um, woman. I think mainly because her father was a you know, mason and her mom's an Eastern star. That's right. Her mom, yeah. So when I joined the Masons, like, I got a lot love from the family so to speak because they're like oh okay he's, he's, he's going through it's amazing it, right? right I ran into two uh, just in Geyserville the other day they saw my hat and like nice hat and I think they thought I wasn't a Mason but I saw you know we did we even handshaked 
Yeah. At first I was gonna try, I was like, what I said, I walked up, I was like, so are you brother? And they're like, yeah, Ted and Todd. And uh, I was like, uh, so do we need to figure out some sort of secret bow or something? And even as I said that, he just grabbed my hand and gave me the shake. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. And he was like, and then he looked at me weird because of the handshake I gave him, it was not what he was expecting. And then I was like, I'm first degree. Mm-hmm. Which actually I sort of like being because to people who don't know any better, it sounds like that's the top. That well, sounds like you're at the t- well, the peak of the pyramid instead of actually the entryway. Even in the <laughs> even in even in that degree, they tell you that right? there is no degree really beyond the first degree. Though, you know, it's good to do full Blue Lodge through the first three degrees, the Master Mason. They used to be a one-day event back in the day. Uh, you actually would go through all three degrees as one kind of continuous uh, ceremony. Um, in Arizona, you can go to one of their open lodges, which isn't affiliated with mine, and you could in one day, you know, walk out of Master Mason. Um, but the work starts after you get the degrees, right? I mean... It's not like you become a master base. You're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm enlightened, you know. Because then you have to start to actually look at all the symbology that you've learned and how it relates to your everyday life and or mentally. So, back to the, the thing I really want to frame for people is Skinner, Hassan, Aaron Leach, all these people see the spirits as being almost physical manifestations. Whereas Lon Milo Duquette and those sort of people see it as being all in your head. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from, from there? Where do we go from there? Here's the question. Because it raises the question. I think I sort of phrased this earlier. Yeah. Is it that the people seeing physically aren't psychic, you could think, almost, aren't psychic enough to experience it in their true sense, in the true sense of these energies of spirits, psychically. And by the way, folks, it's not what I believe, I'm just framing an idea. Is it that the physicalists, let's call them, because it's not worth calling it materialist or supernaturalist even. Sure. Um, because it, something doesn't have to be supernatural. To, some of them might see it supernaturally, and I think that would be a mistake. Mm-hmm. Seeing anything as supernatural is a fucking mistake. Yeah. Um, you may as well be superstitious for, for, for that matter. But is it, you could say, are these people who require seeing these presences physically not sensitive, but psychically? Or you could say, of course, are these people who are psychically sensitive enough to feel and experience and communicate with spirits astrally or whatever, are they just deluding themselves because they don't take the work seriously enough to cause a physical manifestation? And then you have this middle sort of way or view. And again, it's, it could be, they, they can all be compatible, but you have Poke Runyon with the physical manifestation being simply the appearance of the demonic or angelic, the spirit's face. Yeah, in the black mirror. In the black mirror over your own face, which is how I was trained in Solomonic magic in by Ramses. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean... You're the one with the library and you know more about this than me, so what, <laughs> you what know are your more thoughts? about this. I mean, I think that... More about... The, the, the folks, I mean, when it comes to Skinner, he's very adamant about physical manifestation um, to the point that if you're not getting physical manifestation, you're you, doing it you wrong. See, you fail. Um, and I think that it creates an instant barrier between the psychological model because now all of a sudden your years of work and you haven't had physical, you either start to question your work or you say, I call bullshit. And I think that it really doesn't matter I mean, some people are just naturally psychic and don't need any a lot of work to point meditation and things to even open that up. 
is what, what, what is it doing for you is the question if, if your manifestations of, of spirits are actually effectively working for you then who am I to judge yeah you know at, at the end of the day we're talking about the occult you know we're, it's a different experience for most although a lot of practitioners start to create um, kind of guidelines that they agree upon similar experiences with similar entities like when I did, when I was trained as an adept in Solomonic magic the ex the presence in the mirror black mirror outside of the circle of course right in the mm -hmm. triangle of manifestation and we had the full shebang we had everything right it felt physical and it looked physical so there we go how do I reconcile that with being primarily a more you could call me a more psychological model for a type person, but that maybe I attend to the psychological model because of my sensitivity. True. Or psychism, as you you folk like to call it, which well, I think is a stupid word. Well, some people have a bit of fear behind it, too, where what happens if I let my brain go off the deep end, right? I mean, I think a lot of people approach magic in that fashion. They're like, what happens at that point? You know, I think a lot of people have, have deep-seated fears of going insane, right? And if I can't separate the difference between physical and, and mental, it can be detrimental for your health and your mental health. Um, but what we're seeing here, I think what's different is, is that there's a prescribed method, and almost like a scientific process on how you conjure these uh, demons in Skinner's words. Of course. Caution, where I think there's looser requirements in other systems. Like you said, from the pronunciation of the names, I think Solomonic is definitely a very particular path. And most people that I meet that do Solomonic magic, most of them actually believe in physical manifestations. Well, they, it can feel physical. And, and there's no psychological model that's put on the system. I mean, when we talk about God forms and things like that in GD, there's actually, it's planted in the system. That yeah. there are, there's psychological elements that you can become certain archetypes or take on different uh, planetary powers. Yeah. There's no question, there's no even psychological school behind the Solomonic magic. It's literally, you do this and this happens. Yeah. It's like a science experiment. Yeah. In fact, there's not a lot to talk about when it comes to that study because of that. And, I, you know, and I've seen mm -hmm. things during intense workings with like, even like, I've done serious, long, many hour long, serious workings in the vault with large numbers of adepts. And I've seen what I could only describe as physical light. Like, in the point of even, like, some green light shooting out of eyes. Like, mm -hmm. what the fuck? <laughs> I, I don't think I've even mentioned this before, except to the person, the main operator I saw it. It was uh, ICL, for those who know him. And I was just like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And I've seen this many, many times in my life. But, but I also wonder, here's, here's an idea. What about the fact that, like, you know, when I did the uh, Enochian summoning of Ave with Daniel right at the end of Tehuti as it was falling in the temple, um, we definitely didn't bring any physical manifestation around. But maybe that's because both of us being highly sensitive and both good at being either directors, well, both of us being good at squires, me also being good at director, and I prefer to be playing magus to a squire than to have to do double task both myself though I can do that's when I do shem work I, that's how I do it I do both myself of course because mm -hmm. you know 
going through Shem Angels. But maybe we didn't, you don't need to bother with physical manifestation, perhaps, if you're sensitive enough to not bother bringing it through physically, because it's way harder. Like, and this is something, I think it's Leech that talks about this, you know, like, it takes a lot of energy. It does. Um, and the real question is, you don't need to bring it phys- through physically, why, why, why bother? That's a question, there's a question, why bother if you don't need to? What, well, I think we're kind of tiptoeing around the real question is, is, is it, is it working for you? Yes. That's maybe. really what it comes down to, I think, cause and effect here. I mean, we could psychologically go back, we could talk back and forth whether it's psychological or whether it's physical, but if it's working, then who the hell's to tell you that it's not? Hey, even the physicalists might agree with that. I, it's it's an end means. If we're just otherwise, we're just kind of mental masturbation with magic. If we're not actually achieving what we're doing, then why the hell do I have all these books? Yeah. Why why would I spend and as so we all much know, hours masturbating mentally? It just doesn't really cut it. And it's hard not to in this in this type of uh, field. I don't know if you can get off mentally masturbating. <laughs> no, you can't actually fully get off, and I think that's why it keeps going. Right? I think that it's easy, especially in our field, to just go off and talk. And just go off on it because there's so many facets of the occult, so many things to talk about. I mean, when I when I have occult friends and we talk, there's never like subject matter that we're like prying to find. We're not bored. It's like, oh, what, what do you think about this? Oh shit, I read about this, or there's stuff to learn. Oh yeah, well you and me have phone calls that last four hours. Definitely. <laughs> and and then the opposite of that is that could have been four hours in the temple doing middle pillar rituals and you know, doing other things too. I don't think you've got to do the middle pillar for four hours, but <laughs> once in a while it can be fun. Yeah, Any, here's anything. a good question for you. I mean, have you ever been in an operation that you've had to back out of? Oh. Close prematurely. In personal work? Yeah. Yes. In group work, no. I had one group work where we were working out of the... Uh, <coughs> oh, when I was first working with the Olympic Planetary Spirits, <laughs> there was some intense stuff there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was probably too early in the grades to do it. I was, it was borderline, definitely at best. And uh, Lord knows I, I've tread the line a few times and got myself into a bit of spiritual trouble. And I can testify to the damage you can do to yourself if you push beyond where you should. Yeah, I've had it happen once. Uh, me and my buddy Mike were working out of the Coptic Handbook of Ritual Power, which is kind of a pre... Can I speak a bit louder? Coptic Handbook? Coptic Handbook of Ritual Power. Um, it's actually a recent translation, um, and it's kind of like a, a kind of a Christian mix with Greco uh, magical papyrus. And in, in one series of conjuration, conjurating a bunch of these angels, we got, I think, to about, like, like the 20th one, and my whole body just started fucking, like, shaking. And I could feel swarming around the circle to the point where I actually had to have my friend, Mike, I was like, Mike, dude, can you close the circle? Like, that was the only time I've ever gone pushed past my abilities where I was like, wow, like holy crap, like, what's going to happen next? Like, almost shaking in fear with what I had just created. And we were literally fucking around. Like, this wasn't a planned operation. I had got this text. We wanted to just do it. And we kind of got stung a little bit, you know, in silence for a few days. You know, we got back together. And, you know, it happens. It, 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 I grew from it. I get goosebumps talking about the story now. I mean, it was it was intense. But I've been back into that book since, and I've, I've picked up where I left off. And learned a little bit about myself in the process, you know. 
That was the only time I've ever left a ritual, like like a kid with an Ouija board, like the first time kind of shit, you know? Can you tell you revo- you've reminded me of something that I haven't spoken of in a long-ass time? Yeah, go so for this, it. And this is interesting for all of you readers of Donald Michael Craig trying to self-initiate. So I, I that's what I first did, of course. And, you know, after, like, just a few months, I was ready for Adeptus Minor. And so on Midsummer, which we're coming up to in a week, or in a few days, four days, so this is, like... And this would have been midsummer, so this is the anniversary. I'm going to share the story, and this is in my diary, you can, so I can you can check it for reference. But I'm going to tell it to you as I remember it. And midsummer, I got my little coven of Dan and Dave together, and we we did our whole Wiccan setup. But we, I also did the Golden Dawn rituals that I was learning from Don Craig. So I guess I would have been 14. Okay. And I was ready to be an adept, obviously, because that's how it works. I love it, the 14-year-old at death. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, oh, I was, I was ready. I was there. Now, some of the rituals I just skipped because they were too complicated, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Throw these on the side. Yeah. I, and I didn't make yeah. the tools or learn Hebrew. It didn't really seem like he emphasized it was that important. So, <laughs> full disclosure here, folks. <laughs> if you do it that way, if you do it right, maybe it'll work for you. Who knows? Uh, I'm definitely a fan of, of self-initiatory people practicing that path. But I direct people to orders, and like you know, one of the, someone I just directed just got admitted to FGD the other day. You can always right. work solitarily. Yeah, but if you don't, if you're not in a temple and you don't have the money to fly to one, like you flew to Texas for your neophyte initiation. Definitely. With was it uh, David? Yeah, David. David Hogan. Yeah, the OGD. And that's for people who don't know, that's an OGD. Yeah, order and that's that's Patsalusky slash Martin's order. Correct. But it's also called the Rosicrucian Order of the Alphabet Omega. Yes, that's the outer order name. And that's what Samuel Scarborough the other day was telling me is the only true original curriculum presented. Mm-hmm. Which, ironically, I now know due to, uh, not from you, but from <laughs> someone else yeah. sharing some material with me, that that original material, how original can it be when it includes something that I wrote? Yeah, that's important I mean, for the GDC. People should stuff. maybe know that. So how original is a curriculum and especially when I'm being told that a a curriculum is original then when I find out what that curriculum is I see that it includes something I fucking wrote (laughs) history changing (laughs) put that in your pipes and smoke it motherfuckers yeah yeah then again but you know if I was going to do this everything over again I'd probably want to go through with Zalewski you know Mm -hmm. not Martin but Zalewski and Hogan seems like an amazing guy and you had a great experience with him in oh, Texas. Oh, yeah, David, he's very much dedicated to the order. Um, you know, he's, a, he's a teacher that'll check on you all the time. Uh, we do uh, require you know, journals and diaries of our work that we send back. That's sort of servants of the light style. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a good thing. I've well, always because... been tentative to require that of people, but I think now looking back on my days at Tehuti, uh, maybe it would have been good for us to do that because I think a lot of people miss out by not doing the diary, taking the diary seriously enough. I, I started doing fucking three-hour lectures on magical diaries and how important they were. Oh, and I even sometimes would say to someone, like, look, if, you don't, if you're not going to write in your diary, it's, you may as well have not done it. And that's not true. That's no, not no, true. No, no, it's not true. But, but I, you, if you act as if it's true, you'll be better off. Well, you need uh, breadcrumbs. You need breadcrumbs to see how far you've gone. And I think that it's, it's also an act of manifestation. And it really does allow you to be more silent afterwards and not... Have that, have to tell that exciting you, desire yeah. to tell everyone what you're up to. You put, you told your diary. It's documented. Now shut the fuck up. 
Oh, that's an excellent form. I mean, that, that, that particular form works for everything from anger or anything else. You know, a lot of people, like, for example, when I get fucking frustrated or pissed off, I'll just type out my feelings, save it as a draft, and just by getting it out, you're, you're done. Like you're saying, you don't have to tell people about whatever, you know what I mean? So I think that's, that's definitely um, true for order work, especially. I mean, I go back to my old diary entries and stuff, and I'm like, I find both things where I'm laughing, and then I find things that were profound, like, damn, how did I come up with that back then, you know? And even though I didn't really understand something. Oh, yeah. Or you're thinking, you know, you know old drawings. That, when I look at my diaries, which I'm currently releasing to my Patreon group, to just show them for self-initiates, for people in orders, or, or for solo people who want to do magic.me type style of pure practice without any mysteries or initiation. Sure. I'm trying to show them how I went through it. And... Uh, that's why I'm sharing that stuff, but uh, and I look at it. I look at my old stuff, and I'm, I'll see stuff. I'm like, holy crap, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Because the stuff you write, the stuff that's most amazing is the stuff that you don't take any note of as you're jotting it down. Because you're just you're tired. It might be two a.m. and you might have a just have to get. But you know, you you got to do your rituals at two a.m. even if it means you get three hours sleep before you have to wake up and go to school or go to work or whatever. Definitely right. You got to do it. That's the discipline. That's a powerful fucking thing. Um, and I look at that stuff, and I'm like, wow, I, I just wrote that off without realizing that that's the significant stuff. The stuff you think is going to be significant isn't. And stuff that you think is irrelevant is yeah. can change your life later on, years later, looking back at it. Definitely. Like, wow. And you kind of have to because... That's manifesting change and alchemy and magic if, if nothing else. And you can get lost in, pro- in progress, too, in the occult if you don't have kind of that looking back, kind of see where you've come from and where you're going... <laughs> Um, because otherwise you, I, I, well, it's true though. A lot of older folks, I mean, you know, they say that you know what I thought I learned, I didn't really know in the end, right? And I've I've had many of well, those. Well, that's moments. a true, truly mystical wisdom saying. Yeah, and I and I think it's definitely true. It was either. either Aquinas or I think it was Aquinas who wrote some of Theologia and all that. Like his last words before he died, allegedly, were, "Everything I have written is straw." Yeah, you have the main theologian who resuscitated Aristotle for the world as he died said it was doesn't mean shit doesn't mean shit fucking straw I mean look at um, that's what he meant by saying it's straw he didn't mean oh, I made wheat for bread no straw. straw yeah not even chaff straw so yeah, maybe you can make a rope out of it to hang yourself <laughs> like fuck the writing man it's not about that yeah that, and we say that even as we promote the value of diaries and grimoires. Yeah, well, I mean, that's those are actually more fun to read, I think. Like, for example, Frater um, Ashen Hassan's book, as a practitioner or someone getting into it, that's a wealth. I mean, we need more books like that on our shelves. Well, I was so glad you showed me his book because he and I have actually been messaging almost every day. Not mm-hmm. about magic. About <laughs> <laughs> ninjutsu. Yeah, I figured about some martial arts or something. I love it. I, I, I told I, you know, I hope he comes on my podcast and we only talk about ninjutsu. That'd be perfect. And nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, a new Ash and Hassan uh, insights. And we're all like, yeah, so uh, Hongaku. So when you do Hongaku, what's, what do you find is the, you know, people will be that's like. That actually raises another interesting point. But Poke Running does ninjutsu. So Martin got into it because of me. Uh, this guy Martini, who I think is a Fadi Ra guy, though he's not come out and say it, said it. He just did his fifth dan, which is where you kneel in front of your sensei 
and they have a sword behind you, and then they swing at you whenever they want, and you have to roll out of the way without seeing it. Oh How goodness. magical is that? That's the fifth yeah. dance test for ninjutsu. Yeah, totally. That's hardcore. And a lot of guys, Martini, this who's also, I think he was a top GD guy in Fade Ra, I don't know. Yes, it's pronounced Fade Ra, not Were Ra, or Wari, Wari Ra, Fade Ra. Um, he, he delayed for years, I think maybe even a decade, before he would find found the person he felt was qualified to give him his fifth dan test. Because you want it, you don't want it, to, you don't want to fake it. Yeah. You don't want to fake it, you want you want it for real. And, you know, most people actually do pass it, apparently, because you really can at that, you're training to that yeah, your level of sensitivity. Are, yeah. And you can move out of the way of a sword blow, and these wooden swords now, not metal ones like they used to, but, sure. you know, because you don't, no one wants to die. <laughs> Sorry, you lost. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like back then, I think if you got cut up, it'd be like, well, you're probably going to die young anyway. Now it's like, hey, I have a long life to live. Um, <laughs> but I think when we talk about the difference between physical manifestations and psychological, people like Ash and Hassan and uh, Skinner never came from them. From that angle. The psychological. See, if you're a GD, you oh. have to learn it. You have to, you come from that. If you're a Mason, yeah, you learn some. You learn, uh, you know, the symbolism behind it. You learn the, all these esoterics. There is literally no esoteric training really required to jump into Goetia or Solomonic magic, and I think that that's why Jake Stratton Ken, you, you know, loves the example of just kind of like what I told you, where I went way beyond where I should have gone, and that's where I learned. You kind of have to touch the stove. Otherwise, you, you don't really learn. You kind of got to crash course into it, you know. And, and these guys believe in physical manifestations because they never had a doubt at all that, that it was going to be all in their mind. Yeah. Where all these other magical schools built it in. Okay, if you don't believe this, you can believe it this way. If yeah. This, that. To play devil's advocate, though, it makes me wonder, are these people, did these people like me even just have such an insufficient education that we were forced to invent a psychological model due to our incessant failures. Well, it's very common for, for new students to take too much meaning of a dream or or take everything becomes, oh, yeah. you know, and it, and it just happens. The most important thing to tell someone when they ask, when they want to tell you their dream is, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Please do not tell me your dream. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's... Like, the, I actually don't actually want to know the results of someone's path working. Well, it's, it's, it's for supposed you. to be you. Yeah. It's for you. Yeah. And if there's anything to be taken from the idea of no dare will and be silent, it's that there is a power to not telling someone, anyone. And not reading ahead of where you're at, right? Because if, oh, you, if you already know what someone experienced when they went through you know, a certain Sephiroth, then you've already mentally planted what's going to happen when you do it. I said to a frater once who had just gone into Portal, I said, I think I was in the 3 equals 8, I said, I looked at him and I could just see all this stuff going on in his sphere, in his energy, in his mind, his psychology, his body. And I said, Portal, what is, what is, what's it like? What's the, what's your, what's, what's, what's it, your, what's it go, like? The energy you're working with, what, what's it like being where you're at? And he looks at me, he's like, I'm not going to tell you about my fucking alchemy. Yeah. And I was like, awesome, awesome. I'm in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, that's ideal. That's yeah. what you want. Yeah. He's going through it. He's in his Alembic. Stay in your own. That's true wisdom, right? Being able to let someone So you avoid grow. car crashes. Staying in your own lane, man. True. Yeah, don't mess with your alchemy. Exactly. And that's All those people who want to read ahead and just, like, cherry pick. 
Exactly. I've had so many people tell me that you need everyone needs to read the Rigardi's Golden Dawn book just to know the information because that's that's its real value. And I'm like, how fucking boring would that be? That's such bullshit. I don't know what to tell those people. Yeah, man. It's like I see it as like trying to be on the ground and get to the roof of the house by jumping to the top rung of the ladder. Yeah, exactly. You are wasting your time. Maybe one day you'll grab it and learn how to jump high enough, but you've missed the whole point. It was kind of like what, what you mentioned, I believe, yesterday. We were talking about the, the Kundalini aspect where the, the, the rising snake only keeps rising as long as you keep practicing. Otherwise, it falls right back down and you got to start kind of over again. And I think we've all had times uh, where that's happened. Yeah, I like what Mother Bear's been teaching me about the Eleusinian Mysteries because I'm part of the priesthood going through that with like Oberon Zell as we were the guest priests as the 13 mm -hmm. priests, 13 pilgrims, 16-month Eleusinian cycle. Amazing. And she always says, and I love it, she's 82, right? So she's been doing this her whole life. You know, the mysteries are your experience. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the mysteries. <laughs> You don't have an experience. There's no mysteries. You don't learn the mysteries by reading them. Definitely. I mean, look look at the Egyptian Book of the Dead. It's at the core of most of these curriculums, from masonry to GD and whatnot. And I think that you could read that book. Sure, anybody could read the book. But if you didn't actually practice what was happening, you could certainly get a grasp of what's happening. But if you're not actually experiencing it, it's a whole different thing. This goes back to me being 14 in my Wiccan coven on Midsummer, So I'm doing the whole Don Craig 5-6 self-initiation. This is probably something worth hearing. And we have a really strong circle, and the fairies are out that night. We were, we were, do, we were, we were heavily fairy Wiccans, and to this day I still love fairy Wicca. <laughs> People think I'm joking about it all the time. I even for a while put that as my, my, my title on, on my, my Instagram, fairy Wiccan. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That's great. I feel like, oh, Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I love it because, you know, I'm into the, into the fairies. Well, you came from Waldorf like, education. Waldorf school, baby. Yeah, dwarves yeah, and fairies. Uh, exactly. Hey, and, and, and people joke that, uh, like I was written up 11 paragraphs in the National Post of Canada, the biggest newspaper, in this article on Waldorf. It turned out to be a, 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 a attack piece, which I didn't realize. My first experience with journalists, and I've really avoided them ever since. That's why during my musical career, I really refused most interviews, most radio stuff I did very very few mm -hmm. usually only when I knew the person who would be doing it because I was like these people are out to get you oh yeah they'll flip they're, it on they're you they're out to sure. fuck you in the ass yeah. that's their goal mm -hmm. and like the woman who interviewed me and hacked Waldorf to pieces and she like just lied about the things I said I was like yeah I graduated with a small class of only like it was like 14 15 students she's like you graduated with only six other people what a way to demean the school right yeah. it's like the reason we had small classes wasn't because people didn't want to go there. It's because it was expensive, 700 bucks a month per kid. And teachers are aware, are aware in Waldorf that you can't teach that many students at once. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And we had stoners that barely passed, but were still allowed to graduate, like Tommy Chong's son, Gibran. <laughs> barely got through the school. Um, he was too busy having sex and getting stoned. <laughs> Like, you know, uh, really great guy. And he lives in Colorado now. We we're, were still in touch. And uh, then there was academics who got into, like, hardcore Ivy Leagues, like myself. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they catered to whatever you wanted to do on your path in life. That's Steiner's sort of whole thing. Mm -hmm. Amen. Totally. Um, but the hack job was, like, 
he was taught telekinesis and all this other shit. I'm like, I didn't say any of that. Yeah. And, you know, you can see, you know, like, but you and now she's, like, she's the CEO, article. that uh, journalist is now the CEO <laughs> of a major corporation, so I'm keeping my chit to mm-hmm. play at some point when it's, because that, that woman did a bad thing, mm-hmm. trashing and, like, lying. Just, these journalists just lie about yeah. the weirdest shit, They too. get more views. They yeah. get more, yeah, They try to make you look to be some sort of psycho instead of, like, actually quote you accurately it's weird mm-hmm. and this was going this was not 2000 when this article came out in the national post of course i took some advice from my marketing mentor and i looked for the most complimentary fragment of what she said and used it as as a self-promotion because <laughs> like if someone's going to hack your life to pieces in a national the, the biggest yeah. newspaper in canada and name you and hack you just fuck you just yeah. like when i went to the ase conference and i ran into the head professor putting it on in east lansing michigan mm-hmm. arthur was lewis head academic they're putting together he's like I've heard of you and it was from that article and he's really never given me the time of day since then that had a real life Impact, consequence yeah. in my life half a decade later and damaged my fucking career yeah because they made me look like a fucking nut job and sure I'm a nut job but not from that interview not because of what I said in that interview <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nut job because I don't know I'm sure yeah, I mean, you you guys know, can tell me honest journalism is something that's just not it's popular. It doesn't exist Nobody anymore. Even, you know, no one wants to read the news how it actually is. Everyone wants to, you know... I don't know if you ever watched Twitter the Twitter takes US off news. journalist stories because it says that it's, it's inflammatory information when they're reporting facts. I'm yeah. sorry if real life is inflammatory. But it is still happening. Oh, yeah. Whether you believe real life is happening or not, real life is going to keep going. Well, and, and the, we either have social media or we have biased news sources. And so the truth of anything is very hard to find. Uh, and you can even see it in search engines. You know, if you, if you go into Google and you type up a certain political news, you won't get the same results as if you go to MSN or Yahoo or you go... I mean, it's amazing how much suppression there already is even in the Google inquiries or search inquiries. Yeah. So, like, I find myself, especially in times like this with, you know, the world kind of under some unrest and whatnot, I have to, like... I have to go check the liberal news feed. I have to check the Republican news feed. Then I have to try to find some world news. Do you do that? I do sometimes. Oh. Not everything. Not every article. That's tiresome. I and, just, and I you just have some to independent sense. journalists who I, who I know. Um, but I come from a journalist But that's what background. we've created. But when you take people that only, you know, hang out with people that are like them, they only like friends that like what they like, they live in social bubbles and when for example when when trump got elected in the u.s by the way i'm not a trump supporter by any means it was a surprise to all of these people that because all they saw was news against him how much of an idiot he is how nobody could like him i'll vote for him if he changes his name back to trump (laughs) make donald trump again but there was a lot of Plus, I'd have to become American, I think. There were a lot of people that couldn't believe it. They're like, this this couldn't happen. It's because you've only put yourself in a bubble of stuff that you like. And, and, and that's the problem with social media is we're all in these silos. You know, I only see the news that's relevant that I want to see. Or it's specifically dished up to me because it knows I'm going to get pissed or be emotionally affected when <laughs> I see this article. 
And yeah. that's actually true. Facebook's already admitted to algorithmically generating uh, news feeds. We all based know on how the posts. algorithms are, what they're doing. And it's not even just to cater to you, like I said. It's to oppose to you and make yeah. you, you know, emotionally impacted and do something. Yeah, Dr. Brent Weinstein and his wife, Dr. Heather Hang, did a nice little Dark Horse podcast talking about this mm -hmm. the other day that I, I really enjoyed. Um, and the amount of the, the, do how, how the dopamine interactions in your brain. I mean, yeah. people, if they post something and no one likes it and they've got 300 friends, there's actually studies that there's depression going on. And with every Dude, like, it's people are killing like, themselves because of these algorithms. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Censorship, compelled speech, compelled thought. You're dead. Yeah. And then it's it's actually hurting. Is it that quick a process? Maybe. Well, look at For comedy. Some. Look at comedy. I mean, uh, we can't. I'm Canadian. We don't allow comedy anymore. <laughs> it's illegal. I mean, I remember when comedy would get everyone to laugh at each other. That's why Seth Rogen and Ryan Reynolds live in the states now. They can't say that shit in Canada, even though their humor that everyone knows and loves from Superbad that's Vancouver humor. Yeah, we're the ones who talk like that. We're dirty like Viennese people. And it's like we, I. I don't mind being the brunt of the joke. It's fucking funny to hear people make Dude, fun of white men and whatnot. In Europe, they have, in Ireland and England, they still have the tradition of slagging. Like, you know, the only reason I can tell you I fucking, like, ball-gagged and raped your mom last night is because I love you so much and you know I love you so much that you find that funny because you know there's not any ill intent. You just think, oh, that's funny. That's a, that's a, that wasn't particularly clever as right now, but exactly. you still laughed. You still yeah, laughed because you're just like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah. That's slagging. If they slag you in Ireland, it's, you know, you, they like you. Yeah. If they're not slagging you, chances are you should actually avoid that person because they might give you a whack someday because they don't like you. If they're yeah. not slagging you, they do not like you. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah, it's a weird culture in which you know that people care about you when they call you a cunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's a certain type of humor, you know. And, and, and You have to understand how they think about it, otherwise you might get mad offended. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's common with high school and growing up, you know, calling each other different names that aren't even used for the name. Yeah. It's just, you just use it, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I remember when... But when I moved to Ireland and heard people calling me a cunt all the time, mm -hmm. and I didn't realize they mean just bloke, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, like, if you had said that word on the street in Vancouver when I went there in 2005, the whole street would basically stop. It would be like a time stop spell. Like, everyone would just stop and stare at you if you oh, said totally. that in 2005 in Definitely. Vancouver. So I'm in the ritual circle, the fairies are there, all the energies are there, we're, we're doing all this mad stuff, I'm doing GD invocation, we're doing Wicca and Druid invocation, I'm ready to do the, the Don Craig 5-6 vow. And halfway through the vow, something happened. I actually lost limbic function. And I started like shaking, and I, had, I, I, I sort of hit the ground, and and they both were, my friends were, you know, concerned. And I was like, what is happening? I'm, it was like this, something was someone shoving something in my back so hard that mm -hmm. it was just like immobilizing my spine. And I was just fucked. I just felt like I was being attacked. Mm -hmm. And it was a physical attack and it came out of nowhere. And we didn't have a very physicalist or supernatural view of energies at all. We were very astral psychic model mm -hmm. workers. Um, I mean, we were fucking 14. Uh, but also highly sensitive and trained that sensitivity sure. on a daily basis, really hardcore. 
and then they look, they're like, there's something outside the circle, and it's not like one of these little energies where they're astrally seeing floating around, it's like a man-sized shape, and it's shooting this thing at you, and you, they could see it, I could just feel it, mm -hmm. and I'm like, make it stop, make it stop, oh God, like, you gotta stop it, get it, it's outside the circle, it's somehow doing this, and they start doing whatever they could do, like, basically trying to just blast it like they're, like mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. Eventually it did go away, but I couldn't finish it. I couldn't finish the, without, I think I tried to, sort of, but mm -hmm. like, it was like, oh no, you are not meant to be doing this and something has showed up to let you know that. Or it's like declaring yourself beyond your actual status, like it, wow. it was there and it was real and it fucking hurt, physically hurt. And why would, your mind wouldn't just conjure that. It wouldn't just conjure that. Yeah, it's very similar to experience I had. Definitely, you know, because yeah. you're coming from a place of psychological ego for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I've read enough of this book. I'm, I'm, I'm an archmage now. Yeah, well, it's not like that's a, that story is a is a bragging story. It, it admits your faults as a as a magician at the time. I mean, it's not like it's a gloriful story. You know? What's funny is the two years of work I had done leading up to it, had they been in an order. I mean, that would have been sufficient to get through back in the original curriculum up until, you know, back before they started inserting my material. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. I had to say it. I had to say it. Um, <laughs> uh, probably take a little pause and I'll yeah, refresh my, uh, my, my gin and tonic since we're having a beautiful, beautiful summery day. I've been, like, locked away in my room so long, man. It's like I don't even know what's real. All I do is read essays and write curriculum. A racist and oh no. Who's obviously a racist? <laughs> yeah, right. No, Aaron Lynch said who's a racist? No, he I was trying to find a post there was a someone he had wrote Not James Wasserman. I don't know, no, no, no. He, he wrote in uh, a foreword. <laughs> oh, are we recording? Oh, what a, what a, what did to do? No, he wrote what a, to do? He wrote a foreword in somebody's book and apparently some comments that he he had uh, via social media were bad enough to the point where he denounces ever working with him. Leech. Yeah. And you don't know who this guy is? I don't know who the guy was, and I don't know the context, so... Uh, well, I'm can't sure speak Leech will much. tell me when he comes on my podcast. Yeah. Who the hell's this guy? <laughs> None of these guys are ever going to come on my podcast, man. I'm a black sheep. I mean, those guys are, you know... From no. what I understand, they get so many messages every day. They're great. The I love community. them. I love them all. Also, but you know, I am not part of any orders or affiliate to any groups, and I have to be because otherwise I couldn't give reliable advice when I direct people to orders. Totally. Right? Like, if I was in an order, I don't, I wouldn't trust what I said. Like, mm -hmm. why would you trust me if I was part of this or that group? Exactly. You're, you're already, you know, you're tainted at that point. You already have kind of... As much as I'd love to get to do initiations and be hierophant or do officer roles again, like... Oh man, if I, someone's got to do what I'm doing. It's like I'm so glad that people like Aaron Leach and Hassan and all those folks are doing what they're doing. Like, I'm glad Jason Lube's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Because if he didn't do what he's doing, maybe I would have to do it or someone else would have to do it. Like, someone has to do that. Totally. Like, it's all got to be done. Mm hmm. Got to do it all. Just like Carrie Fisher always well, said I mean, we should. Well, I mean, if you're a writer. Oh! <laughs> if you're a writer, then you're kind of like a spokesperson for you know the different orders and arts and whatnot so you have to be careful of what you say when especially if you're in a group that's what I mean also if I, was, if I was in a group I couldn't talk about the stuff I ought to talk about mm -hmm. 
but as a my unique status yeah. allows me to say whatever I want exactly. without violating my <laughs> vows. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, you'll figure it out one day. <laughs> once you take that's a, that's a unique situation. Second yeah. order vows and stuff. Yeah. I know I'm in a unique situation, and there's people I can who I'm actually helping. Like there's people who, and that's it. What well, else can I you mean, ask for in life? Look that? at I mean this Israel Regardi. You know, you look at his book. I mean, at the time, that was considered blasphemous that he released it to the public. And he wouldn't have been able to write that if it wasn't for Aleister Crowley. Exactly. And we owe the public owes a lot to that, you know. Yeah. It may have been blasphemy at the time, but it carried the tradition on. Every Thelemite listing right now is touching themselves. <laughs> That's right. Say it, say it slower. Crowley. Crowley. Oh, sorry, Crowley. I say Crowley just to piss off people who like Crowley. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. Totally. <laughs> It's this, it's that. But I say Enochian, not Enochian, because it's Enoch is an Enoch. Yeah. He's, he's Hanoch. Hanoch. Or Hanoch, depending on your time period. Het, the letter Het, is, is actually more of a H sound than a H. The H is Chaf. Yeah. Chaf. If you want Chaf to be Kaf, you got to put a little diacritic in the center of it. A dot in the center for the, of the Kaf, for it to be Kaf. Otherwise, it's Chaf. Yeah. Not Whereas most people think that chaf is het, but het is actually het. That's correct. <laughs> I know, right? It's my two hundred thousand dollar seminary education at work, folks. <laughs> but I think you know. Again, if, if if what you're doing is working and you don't have books that you're trying to promote, then you can speak freely. And I love talking to occultists that are like that because I they don't they have even... any. You have to watch what they say yeah. and what they do. No. And even if I someone tries to expound on you some higher adept material, um, me being not an adept in the GD, I can't speak for that order, but I could give you a profound truth of masonry from the higher degrees, and it would just go in your ear. Yeah, what are you, wait, 32nd, 33? Yeah, 32nd. Is there a 33rd? There's, 33rd is an honor, honorary, if you're like... So you might get that one day. If you were like, you've done both rights. Yeah. To 32nd. Well, the second, uh, the left right... The left side of the staircase, the York right, um, doesn't have a 32 degree system. It has three different orders that are broken up that you kind of have to pass through, eventually getting to the Templars. So do you have to send money to Christians in Israel to take back the Holy Land? <laughs> no. <laughs> but you are a Templar. Um, technically not a Templar. I wouldn't. I didn't do Templars. I did sh um, Shriner. So oh, you're some, Shriner? Yeah, I'm a Shriner. And that's actually something that you can get behind. I so mean, you know how to find all the good prostitutes. <laughs> oh, 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 snap. Oh, man. I'm just deflecting attention. For, You're like that journalist earlier you were talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a friend, but, I have a friend from, from teenage years who became a prostitute or a sex worker. And she said Shriners always paid the best. <laughs> and when the terrible. Shriner conventions came to town, she and all her girlfriends or co-workers were like so busy. They would see like 10, 20 people a day. That's All Shriners. That's terrible. It is terrible. I mean, what's or is it just liberated? The OTO people again are now fully stroking it. Well, what's they're I mean, like? That's right. That's well, when, right. When people talk about what you're doing with the work, I mean, it's mostly personal work, right? I mean, the Shriners, unless there's a the cute girl they're with, then it's uh, <laughs> they own and operate. <laughs> All of these hospitals, and the reason... Can I get expelled from the Masons for saying this? No, once you're a Mason, you're a Mason. But, but they generate... logical change. They generate millions of 
$25. For cancer? For kids' um, conditions, everything from leg deformities to cleft palates. Noble work. And we do it with no charge to the families. Great way to distract from the fact that they're the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, what organization, occult organization, can you say actually does anything remotely that impactful for the world? The idea that we have time to is fucking hilarious. It's amazing. I mean, what people... like the idea that Aaron Leach is like controlling the governments. <laughs> well, he, but what he's actually doing is like you know probably trying to like make sure his daughter weaves enough wool while she's still a virgin because she does the yeah she does the the yeah the mad hair. respect and love. Mad no, that's cool. I mean, well, he's got a whole family in magic. Like, and did that's you cool. weave the wool today? Because people need that shit. <laughs> It, and it, it projects on your kids like you were talking to my son earlier that learned tarot you know and Talk, he was telling us about yeah. the tarot and the wicca pandemic in cosplayers amongst cosplayers <laughs> <laughs> yeah no 10,000 followers I guess the, the downside like we were saying to having your son cameo is that of those 10,000 followers a few, a few would probably hear what we've said Exactly. And be like, yeah, let's mob flag this asshole to death. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he wants to be on a podcast with you, their dad, right? Last thing you want is the millennials coming for you. I love, I love Gen Z, but millennials, man. And that's you, the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I, I got some little sisters. Technically millennial. a millennial. And you, again, we all understand how categorizations work. It's all, it's all, it's all bullshit. I mean... Well, for example, the, I got I got a buddy in New Jersey. The, like the comedian said, like it obviously doesn't make sense to stereotype people and describe a whole group of people just because of how they all act. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's really, I don't know which comedian said that, but it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> no, I, I love the. I Clearly, love, we shouldn't judge an entire group of people based I, on the way they all act. <laughs> You know, you love all these conspiracy theorists, and you know, and some of them actually tend to come out to be true. Well, right? we're not I mean, far from Bohemian Grove, where we're sitting right now, are we? We're just like what, fifteen minutes away, twenty minutes away from? You're Bohemian about twenty Grove? minutes away from Bohemian, yeah, Grove. Bohemian Grove. I know a few members. Yeah. Um, you have the ritual, even, don't you? You're saying I have all the playwrights. Oh. So that that Bohemian Grove is so organized that they have, which uh, they do some Lucinian rites. They also really? have, yeah, and they. Um, do play playwrights and they actually have a book that comes out with all of the actors that were in the playwright who wow. played what role um Kristen's got a number of friends um who actually work there wow there's like a whole tourist shop or something no it's um it's all caterers because all these high profile people come in oh yeah she's she's mixed with everyone oh like, yeah your yeah, wife she's, like yeah. catered Orlando Bloom yeah she I would cater him she kind of has an ear into all that, right? Because she's serving him so good. He'd never want anyone else to cater him. <laughs> Not even that chick he calls his wife. But you know, that, and I wonder why people think I'm gay. I think you know. <laughs> it's just because I love elves and Legolas. I'd be gay for Legolas, wouldn't you? Come on, Orlando Bloom walks in. Not now, but later tonight, in full elf gear, and says, "Jesse." I need to have you. No, I think you got me all wrong. <laughs> well, your wife would tap that shit. Yeah, my wife maybe. Yeah. yeah. Me, and, me and your wife could tag team that tight elf ass. <laughs> but I, I think it's funny when you mention a lot of these conspiracy theories because I think I can't, I can't remember the the writer. The writer I think it was like Alan Watts or something that that basically said that 
you know, people love conspiracies because it actually gives them comfort. Because actually, the the thing- Nick Alan Watts. Yeah, I was hanging out with his kid or his kid's kid or whatever at Isis Oasis because they do they booked out like twenty of our retreat weekends for their sex cult. Trippy. I don't think it's a sex cult, but one of our people accidentally April walked in on them to bring in new towels and like their application form is like do you have any open sores and stuff like that? And they're all naked all in there, and I think they're doing orgies. But they also do their <laughs> meetings at, like, Jesuit retreat centers, like Jesuit monasteries. And they're like, no one comes into the hall when we're in retreats. Like, I think they're doing sex. That's It's funny. called the Human Awareness Institute for all of you people out there who want to. <laughs> and they have, like, all of Alan Watts, because it's run by, I believe, one of his, his kids. Or well, I believe, I, I believe it was him. Uh, one of his quotes was that, you know, I to, love the beatniks. To the effect that conspiracy is a comforting technique to actually think you know what's going on because the idea that you don't know what's going on is more scary than knowing that the cabals run everything or the Jewish banking system or yeah. George Soros. I mean, I'm of the belief that the, the rich, powerful people aren't organized enough and they're mostly enjoying their lives to like actually run the world. But there are these groups. Like you were mentioning one of them the other day. What was that group you were mentioning? Oh, BlackRock. And also this order of serpents, or the nine serpents. There's been conspiracies around that. I don't really want to, you know, paint that picture because I'm not, I'm not sure about it. But I have been reading conspiracy I gotta get theorists. My buddy, my the Kazali, my buddy Jeff Jeff's on here. Epstein's wife apparently are connected. Even Ghislaine, Ghislaine uh, are connected to these. Well, I'm a big believer in Pizzagate. Mm-hmm. Like, because most people don't realize, but as a Canadian, when the two Canadian billionaires were strangled in their compound after about they were about to go public about what they their working relationship if we can call mm-hmm. a global pedophile ring a working relationship with the, the Clintons yeah. they were about to go public and they were found strangled strangled in their compound yeah two Canadian billionaires the husband and wife that's and, Ameri- and everyone in Canada was like oh this is going to be big this is going to be big and America was mm-hmm. silent about it yeah wasn't reported pretty much what the hell a lot of that. I mean, when you wouldn't, I don't know if you've seen the the Epstein documentary. And CSIS, our our Secret Service, just like covered up all. I the, mean, all the they literally had over. I think it was over twenty five young women that had testified that Epstein had raped them. Yeah. And the police department just shut it down. Yeah. They had. It wasn't until they rebrought the case back Dude, up fucking, to the FBI when Michael Shermer says that something's a conspiracy. You should pay attention because that guy doesn't believe anything. Mm-hmm. Like he debates the fuck. He debates Clovis. You know what Clovis is? No. Clovis is so the layer that, and I learned this when I was doing biblical archaeology. Um, you know, which is basically a month of studying pottery. It's not fun, <laughs> uh, but it's how you learn dating. And uh, we had to do it, and we studied a bit with this woman who did amazing work on sort of the female priests who actually ran ancient Israel with their secret she was part of the dig that discovered all their magical implements in every single cottage or, or dig of every every village they all all these women had all these magical implements separate from their jewelry and combs and stuff mm-hmm. so they were doing magic in the household while the rabbi husbands were out doing public life and then they'd come home and take their marching orders from their wives mm-hmm. because why because they worshipped Asherah mm-hmm. the wife of Yahweh like this is we know this now and I was being told this in the early 2000s because the digs were happening and they were discovering this stuff. And it's like, okay, 
it's like almost as significant as the recent scrapings of the altars. I don't know if you know about that. Yeah, yeah, I would. And yeah, so cause I told because I I was yeah. I was tooting tooting Chris Bennett's horn because he's now been vindicated, years of being uh, independent scholar. Yeah. Um, and he was right. Yeah. He was right, and they're gonna start scraping all these ancient altars now to show different traces of canna- cannabis, cannabis and, yeah, and psychedelics on these things. It's like yeah, yeah, the high priests were high. They were high. It's, it's the elephant in the room. They were high priests, room. and they were called that appropriately. They were high as fuck. All of them were. All these traditions, Buddhism, and you know. which is actually brings us back to Stephen Skinner, who who's very anti drugs and ritual work, which I have always been, of course, myself. And he's very don't do it under the influence of anything whatsoever for this physical evocation. And I mentioned that to Chris on the phone the other day, just a we talk, and he's like, "We've been we've been talking." Chris Bennett and Stephen Skinner oh, that's great. are in daily dialogue. That's great. I'm like, is are you gonna are you gonna turn him into a pothead? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's, it's the I ele- don't think so. It, it's always been the elephant in the room, you know. And I mean, in in people that are highly spiritual, we always associate and spirituality could be a purple with, elephant if you do enough of the right drug. Well, and for example, in masonry, one of the first tenets you learn is temperance. That's a marketing reference to Seth Godin's marketing theory. Oh, okay. Just a little. <laughs> for all you marketers out there. But like, for example, in masonry, one of the first things you learn is temperance. And it, that you're supposed to look at your life and see what you can cut. And, you know, what, what's excess? Almost all, you know, a lot, of, or a lot of schools are like that. And I think that if you're anti-drugs in the more and more you study the occult and you see the inclusion of drugs and how it played a role in it, you either turn your head or you start to look at it more huh. and, and accept the notion that, that drugs have always played a role in, in the spirituality. Well, I, I always planned to one day, I hoped that I would live long enough to one day experiment with ritual magic and drug use. And I did. I intentionally, I think I'm the only, I'm probably one of the only people, if not the only person in, in Golden Dawn history who went through the entire outer order never having touched anything and intentionally staying a virgin because of the shit I had learned about the power of yeah, that stuff sure. about being that abstinent in every way and that's why I'm sharing all my diaries online mm-hmm. with my Patreon group because I don't know if any I don't think anyone else has done that and been also been a good diary keeper like a, a militant fucking and who wants diary. to admit it I mean like we know the priests you know when the holy of holies were burning you know acacia and hemp and stuff and what church wants to admit that at the roots of their religion there's actual drug use that's being condemned by the church i mean it's an uncomfortable reality for anyone who's never experimented with drugs yeah. you can speak up a little of course yeah access that diaphragm baby <laughs> you know I th- and i think that's uncomfortable for folks that have lived a, a life of abstaining from things and to learn that the very thing they've dedicated their life to has an aspect to it which can only be opened up. Oh, could you imagine, like, all these, like, abstinent, like, Mormons, like, trying to admit that the greatest mysteries of their faith can't be revealed unless you go to the altar of the high priest and burn a fuckload of cannabis? Yeah. That's, that, think that's, about the they people can't handle that. that. Yeah, and, and think about the folks who go to, you know, Catholic Church, I mean... That would be blasphemous. Complete blasphemous for them. It's worse than that. It's illegal. 
Right. There you go. Right. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, in but some I think countries, it's, man, you have to do a tolerance for every cannabis on you. Yeah, true. But it comes down to tolerance. I mean, some people, you know, let's say someone who's who's you know drinking alcohol for a lot of their life probably have a tolerance a little bit better than someone who's never drank it before and like thinks about what it's going to do to them or who's yeah. only had it on occasion um, so I mean if you can hold yourself together drinking alcohol for example I think a little bit in your ritual isn't going to hurt anything and I know a lot of the cultists that actually swear by some sort of changing of the, the psyche with either by drugs or light use well I've had a couple of gin and tonics on this beautiful sweltering 40 degree heat day <laughs> sorry 100 degree heat whatever the fuck you Americans call it um, and we're going to do some ritual work after this totally yeah. and I'm curious <laughs> see what uh, what Tahuti says because I'm going to show you how, how a Tahitian invokes Tahuti alright yeah, you got your nemesis yeah no, I don't have a nemesis here. I just oh. have my, my robe and my, right. my satch. I should have brought one for you. Yeah. I could have given you... They were supposed to make me one when I, went, when I went through everything, but I haven't got it. They, what, you mean the most authentic Golden Dawn order in the world failed to supply with the nemesis they promised you? <laughs> At the time, the... the sounds, that sounds authentic. The tailor was only able to do that. I'm joking, way. people. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. So much, so much love to David Hogan. I hear he's just done amazing things with the shit show that Martin created. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dave, David's super focused on the order, and that's what I like about him. That's uh, what it matters. That's what matters. Yeah, that's really what, it, that's what everything means to him is that order. Um, I know, you know, some folks move on. I know, like, you know, Martin's definitely more busy with his Bitcoin. wealth creation for people, getting people to work from home and stuff. You know, power to him. I think that's cool. I mean, if, if that's something you want to do. Um, I do think I'm that... I'm just glad he graduated from selling... <laughs> Dot, dot, dot. No, I think it's a great thing. The, Shout out to Maddox. The only problem I had with it was that, you know, when people from my order were, like, trying to get me on board with shit like Bitcoin, and I think that you run a big gamble if you're the leader of an organization and you're selling product and stuff. Dude, me running, me running the Golden Dawn in Canada led to people shooting guns at me. Crazy. And attacking my mom, raping my sister terrible man. Thank God my family doesn't give a shit about what I do, so none of them will ever hear this. And it's not Plus, it's just, it's not rape, it's just a whoopsie. Yeah. I know, I said it. No, that's alright. I mean, it's important that you say it. I mean, even the OTO has reeked of shit like that for a long, long time. I've met a lot of girls that have joined the OTO and left because of, uh, you know... I think the OTO wants to have a naked woman on the altar. The priest who comes out of the secret space with his staff should also be naked. Why is just one person, why is just the women naked in the OTO? Can you imagine? It's like, yeah. hey, I've started this new Wiccan group. Do you know any women who want to join? They're like, why? It's because all the women have to be naked. But not the men? No, just women are sky-clad. That's my new Wiccan group. Come on. It's a trip. It's, it's, it seems so contradictory to Thou Crowley's, Crowley, mm -hmm. you know, Sea Dog's whole uh, uh, trajectory. Why would he just want women to be naked? Well, I can understand why a guy would just want the women to be naked. I don't think he would have been opposed <laughs> to everybody naked either. Right. Like, why not have each, the, like in the Nost Mass, have men and women naked? If you're going to do nudity, it should be across the board. Yeah, I agree. Otherwise, it just seems like masturbatory. Well, that's, that's part of the allure. I remember a few members um, who 
who joined the O2 that tried to get me over, and I'm, as you know, I'm busy with enough shit already, and that was kind of the selling point. Dude. Are, are you busy? Yeah. Are you busy doing everything? <laughs> Not everything, I just mean all the other order work. I think I spread myself thin in order work. But when when these guys would come back to tell me about the order and, and why I should you know, check it out, it's always, you know, there's a naked lady laying on a table, it's amazing. What, they use that as a selling point? In a way, it's, oh my it's God. used that way. Yo, OTO people, if you want, you you could improve your public image a bit by not using you get to see a naked lady on an altar as a selling point. Just saying. <laughs> you're selling a spiritual religion. Maybe don't use that as a pitch point. It's it just seems childish. It seems adolescent. But I think uh, there are some folks that want that kind of thing in, in the orders. That's what they're going after. You know, they whether they haven't had I don't. I don't want to degrade anyone. So I think it's just they're they're looking for that sort of thing when they're joining an order. Like for example, when I joined Masonry, I wasn't impressed with the rituals that I thought that I was going to see. But when I joined the Martinist line, I got that NGD. You know, both initiations, both really got. That's what I wanted. It was the missing elements. For some people, costume may not be even a part of it, or even do everything astrally. Right? You could do everything by yourself at home. But for me, I, I got different things from those initiations that I thought were more powerful. And for some people, it might be that image, you know, the, the, the Lady Babylon. You know, some people need that. And I think that that's, it is unique in its, in its own thing. I mean, it's Masonic at its core, uh, because these are all Masons that start all these organizations. Yeah. They just wanted more, you know, and wanted more of different things. More, more, more. <laughs> It's kind of like you said when we when we talk about new orders. It's like why? It's already why do we need new there's orders? already a system. There's already a bread pan to cook. The, why do we need to go shopping for a new bread pan when we know the system works and has been tried and true working for so many years? I mean, sure you could create another flavor, but it's going to be dressed in masonic rituals. It's going to have the same old you know frame yeah. to it, skeleton. Of course, we say this as I'm doing, creating Yeats's Celtic Mysteries. Well, you're, you're not creating, I mean, you're, you're bringing it to life what he started. Yeah. And you know what? Just for four years, and then the people who go through it can run with it from there. And all the material will be released so that anyone who doesn't want anything to do with me or the people who do it with me can also run with it. Because it's not, they're not my mysteries, they're the Celtic Mysteries. Exactly. They don't belong to anyone. And if someone has deep passion for Yeats and Celtic history in general, that might be exactly what they want. I mean, that might give them something that the OTO oh, yeah. or GD couldn't give One them. One of the things I've been telling people who have just uh, stepped into it with me um, is uh, we are actually, like, a lot of the magic that we're doing, going to do is actually all inner order Golden Dawn magic because that's what Yeats planned. And mm-hmm. you can see notes in the unpublished diaries from the adepts who worked with Yates saying this should not necessarily be shared secret inner RRAC teaching only but Yates clearly is like having them do it and clearly planning on teaching it to whatever Irish nationalists wanted to join his new Celtic religion mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah these, these are the magical techniques where people people are saying these in order techniques should be put in the outer order that's okay I'm all for other orders that don't include any inner order te- techniques and are totally traditional. All for it. Just like I'm all for complete sobriety and ritual work. Fucking big fan. Dude, 
when me and Chris Bennett did Enochian, did Enochian Ether work with Lon Duquette before going to our first Gnostic Maths on the fucking anniversary of the Book of the Law, big night. It was a big night for us all. I got hella stoned with Chris Bennett, and I was like, I've never gone into ritual work hella stoned at all before or under any influence of anything. Yeah. And I had a powerful experience of the Ether, which I've, I've worked text before, of course, T-E-X. Um... And was it a powerful experience? Yes. And I don't, I don't want to give the details, but and and the and the intention and the working I did yielded results that you literally wouldn't believe. Like it was the first time I actually did magic uh, for money, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it was after my home invasion and robbery and shit and like that. Yeah, shout out to Griffin's cronies. Fuck you guys. <laughs> fucking die um and uh I did it for money and the next morning I woke up and out of nowhere $1,300 was in my bank account it turned out to be from my estranged father who I hadn't spoken with or seen in over five years Mm -hmm. and I didn't ask for it but I did this TEX ether working with Lon and Chris but the pot did so the working was successful despite being stoned out of my mind Mm-hmm. What was hard was to maintain my focus throughout the working. That's really I, what it comes If to I be. hadn't been trained up the yin yang, I don't know if I would have. I think I would have fallen out of it. Because mm-hmm. I had to struggle so hard to maintain my focus, so hard. And I was because you know you know when you're in a deep astral scrying working like there's the tunnels, there's the the zoom, you know there's the you like you know your body your shakes and then it goes numb like that happens all mm-hmm. the time. And uh, but then I could you could feel yourself starting to drift out of it if you're not able to focus your will, and so the will is crucial mm-hmm. for anyone who rushes through neophyte like I did. Don't you can rush through the grades, but don't don't rush through the work and don't leave any of the work behind. Keep doing the basics till the day you die. Mm-hmm. I swear by the basics on yeah. my life. Meditation one, Stella Matutina edition, edition addition not edition mm-hmm. <laughs> right it's crucial I mean that's why even people like you see the same techniques in Franz Barden mm-hmm. Rudolf Steiner all the same techniques that's one thing I actually I wanted to say to you you know what's interesting is yeah. everyone talks about like oh the German origins of the GD blah 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 bullshit 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 right but mm-hmm. it's like read Rudolf Steiner here's an example of a, not only a Freemason he was a Freemason mm-hmm. which shocked the shit out of me when I found that out sure but he was also part of these other lodges I don't actually know what they are but when you read between the lines of how he describes his teachings in an outline of occult science, which I recently did, the, the main things that you need to know about Steiner, between the lines and his vague German expressions and the horrible translations, I'm going to one day do a proper translation, because every single chapter he writes could be distilled down to like a fucking paragraph. Oh, yeah, honestly. totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't always have to say Schutzenklavenvernichtungspanzerkopfwagen. <laughs> you can actually just say Panzer to mean tank. You don't have to say the whole. Sure. Shit's in combination with lots of cough bogging. It's kind of like A.E. White. Just like a lot of excess writing. You're just bored out of your mind. Yeah. Wait, man. One of the most boring writers in the English language next to Edward Bulwer Lytton. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Zanoni didn't change my life when I read it in Portal as required reading. Yeah, I've been seeing, um, speaking of Barden, I've been seeing quite a bit of students starting to pop up. 
um, using the Bardic system, Bardic system. Yeah, well, Czech Hermetics is doing a lot. I was in Prague. I tried to get them to get involved with what I was doing there when I was there, but they just sort of ignored me. They're doing new translations, stuff like that. And yeah, I've got both of them. They're, yeah, they're great copies. They, they, they took the, the U out of Quabala. Quabala. <laughs> I saw that. But I loved it, Frat or Not, who I did an interview with, right? That's the second most listened to interview. Maybe we'll trump him. Well, they also he, should... He calls it Quabala as a way, instead of saying Hermetic Kabbalah, to distinguish it from uh, Jewish Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. He says Hermetic Kabbalah. Instead of saying, we say Hermetic Kabbalah to represent Hermetic Kabbalah. Sure. He's just called, he just, he takes this step forward. I love this guy. Shout out to San Francisco. He says, and Blazing Star OTO. Oh wait, he says, he calls it Kabbalah. I think that's so cute. Yeah. That's so fucking cute, man. It's like, don't call it Hermetic Kabbalah. Call it Kabbalah. That's great. Because <laughs> it's just so it's so diminutive but funny, but also apt. It's true. Well, we, we study Kabbalah. Kabbalah's been so <laughs> it's been so bastardized. I mean, you've got all these different versions. You've got Kabbalah mixed in with stuff that never should have been mixed. <laughs> well, maybe, but like, uh, so. But here's actually something I've been talking about. This is what actually the real value of my my what I do. Um, I've been sharing some of the research done by Gershom Sholem's predecessor, Moshe Adele. Mm-hmm. And he's been uncovering. So, like, even uh, Hanegraaff and a bunch of other scholars put out these articles and they, uh, about Ramon Lul, who, uh, you know, I got to see his statue when I was in Mallorca in Zelator in 97. And I went to, I was in Palm, my Viennese Gast family uh, took us to Mallorca to their estate there because they're antique dealers and they had an estate in Mallorca. Of course, they, yeah. as every German speaker does. And that's where Raman Lul is from. And they have a statue to him in Palma. And it was always believed by all these academics up until very, very recently mm-hmm. that he had no experience of Kabbalah. So his, his whole uh, cosmology seemed so Kabbalistic. And all these scholars, like even Claire Fanger and stuff like that, all these doctors are like, no. He just had this kind of Christian mysticism that was really similar to Kabbalah. And Moshe Adel comes along, does research into the people who were influencing him, looks deeply at some stuff, and finds out it wasn't Abu Lafi, it was this other guy, uh, fuck, I, I, I'm not even going to attempt the name, because but I did a, a lecture on Adel and, and this exact topic. He looks at it and he's like, okay, Raman Lal had manuscripts sent to him by this famous rabbi, Kabbalist, directly, boom. Boom, yeah. Yeah, he knew the Sephirot, he knew the Tree of Life. His whole thing was not something created parallel and ignorant of Kabbalah, but informed by it, just simply not named as it, to protect the Christianity of it all. Sure. And that's something I wanted to get into with with regards to the grimoire stuff, and you were showing me your library, which we're going to do a video of for people, right? And the idea that there's all all of these grimoires are, are highly devotional, like... Uh, John Dee's work was highly Christian devotional, pietistic mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. And the idea I think worth looking at is the question. The question is did these guys mostly couch their occultism in Christian thought, language, and ideology to protect themselves or because they believed it? I they believed that's what it was. I think they adopted it. Put their own spin on it. And now, a word from our sponsors. 
While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. You think they adopted religious Christian pietism into occultism? Yeah. I think that in the early Christian churches... But did they do that because they were faithful or to protect themselves? No, they were one and the same. I mean, the, a lot of the early, early Gnostics and stuff at that time were using the occult to actually help religion. I mean, they were, they were students of this and they wanted to... Well, a lot of them wouldn't be considered Gnostics. I don't know if you know that, but Gnosticism requires you to believe that there's a spark of God inside you. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this the other day, actually, somewhere, somewhere in something I released, where that's a heresy that most of them didn't tend toward. They didn't believe that there was a spark of God in us, and that is why it's Claire Fanger's piece that I'm actually recording for tomorrow. Well, there's different streams of Gnosticism. They practice, like, the sworn book of Honorius as a way of connecting with God because there was no spark of the divine in them. If there's a spark of divine in you, that's when you get into Gnosticism a bit. Well, there's but different If you're streams. a good Christian, there's no spark of the divine in you. There's no substantial essence of God within the human being. Mm-hmm. This is dogmatic Roman Catholic theology. And it's still actually maintained by Orthodox Christians as well, but they get around it a little bit through the filioque controversy, which is the debate, of course, whether the Holy Spirit descends from the Father through the Son or bypasses the Son and just hits us direct on, mm-hmm. which allows us, of course, to have direct connection with God, bypassing Jesus through the Holy Spirit, hence the filioque controversy. Filioque just means and the Son. Sure. Right? Well, you can see a lot of those grimoires. So they don't changed. have the essence of God in them, but they can connect with the essence of God directly through the Holy Spirit without going through the door of Jesus. Well, and a lot it's of those... It's pedantic as fuck and really stupid, but it's interesting. In a lot of, like the Coptic handbook I have in there, the names were changed. They took Greek Roman papyrus rituals, and then wherever it said a certain Helios, it was just changed to Jesus. No way. Oh, yeah. And which Coptic? I have the Coptic uh, Coptic handbook of ritual power, it's called. There's a bunch of early ones. I think um, I have a couple in the library. They just did a find and replace. Yeah. I mean, but it kind of works if you think about it. I mean, a, a thoughtful, well-written liter- liturgy could be like a Mad Lib, right? You could put whatever you want. Who are you but calling that, out to? That challenges a lot of people who say, you know, don't change the system, don't change the tradition. Well, when it came from paganism and it's morphed its way into this organized... So you, you would know. consider that something separate from grimoire work? Yeah. It's a good point. That's why I think it's okay to do the LBRP using Yeats's Archdruids instead of the archangels dude i know chaos magicians that use like pokemon oh you can't well you know what i mean i'm hardcore into chaos magic as everyone knows at this point and so i have no problem with doing that sort of thing but partly i think that is a liberal liberal liberality i have that's a new word liberality (laughs) it's a real word just like the you know if they can redefine racism then i can say whatever i want (laughs) in america but not in canada then i go to jail (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I don't know what was the thing <laughs> the gin and tonic went to my head oh there you go 
Yeah, no, it's it's very. Oh, I, I can say that because I think I had such a good Golden Dawn experience from fifteen to twenty. That was, in my opinion, quite puritanical. Like as 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 it was said, we ate, slept, and shit, Golden Dawn. Mm-hmm. Did we add in stuff? Yeah, but well, apparently, and, and so did the Rosicrucian <laughs> Order, the Stella Matutina. Well, yeah. Oh. If you look at Fane Ra, you can you can see. I love that the most that Falcon was a Christian end of the day. I mean, he... Well, it's all Rosicrucian. Yeah, I mean, th- th- on his grave... We didn't even say the word, we just called it the R word. <laughs> we didn't think people were worthy of hearing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's just the sign of going through a rigorous training that actually does transform you. You tend to have respect and, and reverence for the things that changed your life. And that's a spiritual modus operandi we should all be seeking. Which actually brings me to another point, which Stephen Skinner on Glitch Bottle said, magic isn't spirituality. Now there's a topic I'd like to get into. Uh, with again, you. Skinner comes from it from the art of Solomon. Which Speak he, louder a bit. He comes from it from the art of Solomon. It doesn't have any theology other than believing that there's higher forces than yourself. I do think it is silly for That's some... very AA of him. And I mean, I don't mean the, the Crowley AA... <laughs> well, and you look at a lot of grimoire work. You're, you're basically, I mean, calling anonymous, <laughs> but you're basically Which should be calling upon Carl Gustav Young worshippers anonymous. It's a Carl Gustav Young cult. <laughs> Their Messiah is only named once. That's a trippy one. I'm joking, people. My best wishes for all of you, one day at a time. Yeah, Jung, Jung has its place. You know, it's Jung. Let's call him Jung. Yeah, Jung. They, occultists use weir- weird words. You f- say facsimile fucking weird. Facsimile. How the fuck do you say that? Facsimile. <laughs> <laughs> now tell us, as Chris Bennett would say, what's the origin of that word? <laughs> what's the origin of facsimile? No, I'm just fucking <laughs> It doesn't matter how words are pronounced. That's why I just like to chill out and ask questions. Totally. I'm with you. Language it, changes people, even Anakian, which is strangely English in its linguistics. <laughs> Who would have thunk that the angels all speak with it English grammar? <laughs> that's, 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 yeah, you can't take any of it very serious. Well, but at the same time, you have to take it incredibly the serious. The work itself serious. The work. Yeah. The work. That's The that's, opus magnum. And it makes sense for, for Skinner to feel that way because there's no theology around that work. Well, there is. I mean, there is, but it's, it's, it's the way he explains it of doing this plus this and this and this and this order will generate this. The yes. way yes. It's not like um, yeah. other traditions where But I hate like, that that's called scientol- science, scientific. I don't think we should refer to the occult as scientific. Well, he actually refers I, to it I in know. that manner. Well, yeah. We should refer to it as methodological. Yeah, there you go. That's probably a better word. I think he'd agree with me. Occult science is such a stupid idea. The idea of it, I think, yeah. But a, a well-kept diary. It's what people said before we had real science. I just lost like a thousand followers. <laughs> Which puts me at negative 666 followers. <laughs> Because God knows I have 444 followers. Actually, well, that's the slight, the tagline number for my podcast, right? 444. Because mm-hmm. I plan to only do... I'm going to end it. Like One thing I learned from the guy who initiated me into the Golden Dawn, 
Fredericoff, mm-hmm. or as he's known today, Nineveh Shadrach. No way. That's why we called Frater RC. No, I know, Shadrach, I know him, but I didn't know him. Nineveh in- Shadrach initiated me in the Golden Dawn in 1996, in November. Wow. In Surrey, British I didn't realize Columbia. he had any GD affiliation because I know he does he's, so much gin stuff. He's Robert Zink's adopted son. Blowing my mind. Wow. Robert Zink's wife, Raffaella, was his girlfriend when they were both 16 in the LA Temple. And then Zink stole Raffaella from Mimo. No, no, Shadra. Everyone calls him. His name's Mimo. Mamdu Alde. <laughs> oh, oh, maybe I just gained some listeners. Yeah. <coughs> Mamdu Alde, Nineveh Shadra, Fadraka. Initiated me into the Golden Dawn and wow. opened Temple Tahuti, which I then became the, the guy who ran it and all of Canada and uh, gave me the motto Frater Rumpens Katane, Broken of Chains, mm-hmm. which of course is my out of order motto, so I'd moved far beyond that sure. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Wow, yeah, I had no idea. Adepts call me Rafade. I know he's way into gin magic, that's how I know him. Yeah, so he initiated me and, and Martin Tebow and Marcel and Bjorn and everyone, all of us, from Nineveh Shadra. Wow. Yeah. And then during the war... Good piece of history. During the war, during Bellum, like, Zinc would order people to go... Sorry, Voldemort would order people to go spy on him in his basement and, like, sit outside his window and stare in at him in the night. Like, Martin used to do that shit with, like, fucking shoot-out batons ready and dressed all in black to, like... Like assassins in the night, like the fucking shenanigans that I just avoided. I was like, I have ritual work to do and classes to teach. I don't have time to sit outside of some ex adepts, our founders' apartment. In, in, you know, this is bullshit. This is the weird. This is the shit that, and like, I can't believe people would like. It's like, what? How? How can you behave this way? Like, next thing you know, you're going to be selling gold and Bitcoin. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Oh, I mean, I've, I've heard I've this. heard many stories like that. I mean, I guess I'm lucky with with Hogan's order that we just don't really have anything like that, or he hasn't taken the leadership to his to his head, right? Well, it sounds like Hogan's just too busy actually giving people a good Golden Dawn experience, which is yeah. the only thing that matters. Like it's it's a curriculum, it's a college. Anyone who turns it into anything else is is stupid. Mm-hmm. Like Jeremy Crow has a YouTube video where he's like, "My time with the Golden Dawn cult." And then he talks about his time in Toronto with uh, Zach, who is a student of mine I basically almost expelled. But he was giving so much money to Zinc and all of those people that he got up. And as I was, as, as the schism was happening and Tahuti was falling and America and Canada were splitting, uh, I actually gave him some advice on how to like move up with Zinc and just said, that, you know, just play this card, play this card and you'll, you'll get far. Because I was depressed, I was upset, and I was busy with my marriage falling apart and while doing grad school. It was a fucking yeah, son of a bitch, man. And, uh, you know, he had this cult experience, Jeremy Crow did. Uh, because he was with this guy, Zach, who was like, try- people make it into a cult. Mm-hmm. That's their choice to make it into a cult. Oh. It's not a cult. It's a school. You should fucking graduate and leave if you have any sense about you. Now, if you want to join an inner order because that inner order is doing really good work that actually speaks to you, I think, yeah, go for it. Yeah, totally. But 
the outer order you go through should not necessarily be the same as the inner order you then enter. I think that we should, if we could create more bridges between orders and allow, like the sodalitas, mm-hmm. sodalitas allows honorary adepts. Like I can, in theory, become an honorary adept of the sodalitas mosaic bridges, which is a traditional golden dawn order, mm-hmm. and that's amazing. That's how it should be. Like we should create bridges between orders. That's what Nicholas Goodrich Clark instilled in me before he died in the in the decade in which I got to know that beautiful human being who warned us and warned us and warned us about how the occult roots of Nazism could lead to the exact same thing happening again but sadly he didn't live to see this I'm sad Sally McFaig my mentor who died just last November in 2019 like one of the most beautiful human fucking beings you would ever have met I mean they didn't get to see this what's going on right now and what's going on right now is scary Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, to quote Maynard James Keenan, the Reverend, the Reverend Maynard, as he said at the last show I saw him play, and I ate all the mushrooms I had because the people I had invited didn't come, so I had a gram of mushrooms for each of us, and they didn't come, so I ate all three grams. <laughs> throughout the entire show, I really didn't hear the music because I couldn't focus on the music, even though it was Tool. Sure, um, the light Because, because he, he was talking to me so much while he was singing, you know, Maynard just just had a dialogue yeah, going with me. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. he was actually projecting and talking to me and giving me life lessons the entire fucking concert. So I couldn't really pay attention to his new songs because you know he had some some wisdom to drop. And of course, at the end of it, I realized I was at a concert and he wasn't talking to me and he was singing on stage and I was up there listening. You know, that occurred to me eventually, but not at the time. I think you had mentioned to me some ties to. Uh in the occult. Oh, I can tell you so much about that. Tool and the Golden Dawn yeah, specifically. Oh my god, this gets into... And it's from... from, from I'll t- I'm gonna lay Dana Carey, right? Danny Carey? And Adam Jones. And they trained a guy whose girlfriend... I, okay, okay, I'm gonna tell you the whole story. But my point to finish that point is important. What was it? What was my point? You were talking about the Tool concert, Mushrooms? Uh, yeah, but... No, but the actual... Oh, to quote the Reverend Mage, what he said at the beginning of that show, because he rarely speaks... The first time I saw him perform in Canada, he said, the only thing he said the whole concert was, hey, it's great to be here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Please invade our country before we purchase yours. It was so funny at the time, but now it's sort of like, anyway. What he said at this concert was, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world. Things are a bit crazy. But one way or another, it's all going to be fine. And if you know his song, Anima, mm-hmm. learn to swim, learn yeah, to swim. swim. Yeah, totally. Bomb's gonna fix it all soon. Mom's coming back to put her back the way it ought to be. Totally. Dude, if we don't get our shit together, nature's just gonna snap its fingers and we'll become the, just like the dinosaurs. That's why we gotta occupy Mars, eh? <laughs> something. We're gonna run out of room. Yeah, something. So anyway, that that's that story. So do you actually want to hear about Tool and the Golden Dawn? Yeah, I'm curious. Right. I think your your listeners yeah. would probably so, love to hear that. So no one actually knows that much, and if they do, they're not talking. But we all know that Tool functions in a rehearsal space with the Anakian tablets on all four walls, and they each represent one of the tablets. Interesting. Okay. That's cool, right? Yeah. Danny Carey's set up with all the symbolism and his, his uh, love of Philema and Crowley and OT is well known. But Adam Jones is hardcore hermeticism. As a band, they only agree and meet on equal footing in the realm of sacred geometry. Mm-hmm. And that comes across from the fact that they have albums that end 
where each song starts in the key that the previous song's note ends on, and it goes from A to G. Mm-hmm. That's cool. They like, do all sorts of stuff. All sorts like of stuff. Yeah, they yeah. do so much Their stuff. Timing There's a reason too. it's psychedelic. The only time I ever actually took someone's advice and listened to what he said I should do, which was listen to my favorite music while doing DMT, I'd put on a Tool song. And the Beings incorporated the music. And I said to some guy, uh, Outback Ronin, shout out to Outback Ronin on Instagram, who knows way more than me about these things. I asked him, what the hell is that going on? How can a song I'm playing in my room integrate like that? And if you haven't done a lot of DMT, you might not, this might not make sense, but like, I know you haven't done it yet. I mean, no. Uh, I say yet. Um, <laughs> I like, got a lot right here. I didn't say that. Um, what he said was, he explained to me, like, he's like, yeah, that's right. You really, like, of course they're going to incorporate the music into the, like, they are, it's, you, it shows you this mystical understanding of reality. Like, this, there's no separation. Yeah, no, you can hear it in their music, for sure. Yeah. That's what's just cool to hear that they have ties to that, because obviously it makes sense. Oh, it gets deeper, and it involves other bands. So I was covering my friend's band in Vancouver. Uh, I was, I was, he wanted me to be guitar tech, but I had uh, my own gig going on, a Kelty gig. And I ran down, made it just in time for his last song, and then he was opening for a band called Three Teeth. Okay. You know Three Teeth? Wow, you yeah. need to listen to them. Okay. Because they're amazing. They're, they were born rock stars. And they've taken, they've resuscitated, I think, single-handedly industrial music from the era of Cam, FDM, and my buddy Gunter Schultz. Who, okay. of course, probably will lay down the guitar tracks for the stuff you and I do, you know, on drums, right? Like, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. You know Gunter Schultz. Yeah, totally. Cam, FDM. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so he's my bro. And uh, he's the one who actually told me not to get into music. Did I tell you that? Mm-hmm. He's like, when I was getting into music, he's like, no, I think you should not get into music. I'm like, why, Gunter Schultz? He's like, look at me. I was pop star. Now I do computer graphics. <laughs> I'm like, das ist urgeil. Das ist lustig. He's like, nein. Nein, das ist nicht lustig. I'm like, das ist ein bisschen lustig. He's like, yeah, machst was du You know, fucking whatever. Do what you want. And, you know, here, here we are today. Um... And so Three Teeth is a band you need to check out. So I, they were the headliners, and they played. Um, and the music was deep. It almost felt like tunnels of set, sort of Kenneth Grant kind of stuff. And I was like, it's almost like they're working through the tunnels to elevate consciousness. It's weird. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know. And, and then uh, there was a weird thing where my friend, who I was with, but I was there as a journalist, so I had like all these perks. My friend came and brought a tray of shots and put it down next to me, next to the stage in the back private area mm-hmm. and I was like oh thanks that's awesome you know so I did a shot and then she turns around she's like that was for the band and I look up and these huge guys are staring down on me they're like I'm telling you the whole story yeah, yeah. here right because yeah, yeah. you're a musician you appreciate yeah, yeah. it they look at me like and one of the guys doesn't get a shot before his set of three teeth I'm like I'm sorry but you know if yeah. you're a journalist covering an event and someone puts down a tray of shots next to you you assume it's for you and your friends mm-hmm doesn't matter that it's on the stage because you're backstage already right sure you don't you don't think about that like you know sure i was like a honored guest there already and i looked at the man i'm like i'll fix this and i ran to the bar i'm like i need five tequila shots and they're like we're actually out of tequila the band drank it all 
I don't know, maybe not. And I was like, okay, give me five, five gin and tonics, five double gin and tonics, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, they're like, that'll be $62. I'm like, yeah, here you go. It's Canada, so fucking mm-hmm. bankrupt me, whatever. I brought them to the stage. I'm like, I'm sorry. They look at me. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. you know? And afterwards, we're all hanging out in the back at thing. They didn't want to, Three Teeth didn't want to party with us or anything like that. Um, we all went back to the studio and had a great night, epic mm-hmm. night with all these film producers, you know, our crew, our crew. And, but there's this photo that got taken of this, the steampunk or uh, cyberpunk film director, Avery Fain and uh, Kane DeLay of Love Spine Down and all these people and the singer from Three Teeth's there. And he ended up in the back of the photo with me and we're right there and we're like arm in arm and we're just like, I'm like, hey, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm Alexi, you know, I'm like, I'm eloquent. And, uh, as the photo gets taken, I look at his arm, and there's a huge, full-color, Golden Dawn color scheme tattoo of Thoth on his arm. Literally, it looks like it's straight out of the Godform book. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and he looks at me, and I look at him, and it's like, mm-hmm. I got that adept vibe. I'm like, am I looking at a fucking hermetic adept? The singer from Three Teeth? No. No. No, no. I go home uh, after the party. And I'm there early in the morning, and I'm on doing some. Po- I'm doing a post, a pre-post for my article that was going to come out because uh, I was writing for an affiliate of Rolling Stone called Rockstar Weekly. Mm-hmm. And someone, someone's. I, I start somehow. I ended up me and someone started DMing, um, who posted something about hermeticism, and I was like, I posted back. And this is a long story, but is it worth it? Yeah. Okay. Totally. So, and she posts back, and I DM quickly just like yo that's cool she's like yeah blah 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 blah. i'm like blah blah blah. Um, it's like yeah i'm like actually just uh just uh writing up the article covering less fine down and three teeth and i think the singer from three teeth is uh got some like uh hermeticism background she's like she's like i'm in mexico city and i'm from eastern europe and i was trained in hermetic golden dawn magic in la By the singer Alexis, who you're talking about, and just were with tonight. Wow. Who was taught himself by Alex Jones from Tool and Danny Carey. I'm like, and you're in Mexico. Her name's Shaltamira. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's like, yeah. And we talked for hours. That wow. was a long deal. I'm like, whoa. It makes you wonder, yeah. How many other? Yeah. So that's this tradition's alive and well in the rock scene. And here's the funniest thing of all. I go to Berlin to lecture at a culture conference. I end up at a club that the, the, one of the main guys, Gabriel, from a culture conference recommended I go to. I thought it was like actually like a spiritual yoga thing. So I had my, like, my uh, chakra crystals in my pocket. I had my robe. I was like all ready for like a yoga with like spiritual thing, right? And I, I'm in this line from midnight till 3 a.m. to get into a place called uh, Val de Renata, Wild Renata. And it's a skyscraper, an advanced skyscraper that's basically 10, 15 stories, and I was lucky they let me in, actually. I had my elf ears on, and I, I was like, oh, shit, everyone's dressed weird. I'm like, what is this place? And it turns out it's, like, the craziest all-night or two-day-long, like, full-on 30, 40 orgy room, sex party, BDSM, dance club, everything. There's a private, there's another, there's an outdoor area, there's everything. Like, it's, it's, it's something you would imagine only in fiction, mm-hmm. in a cyberpunk wet dream. And there's a whole other uh, pavilion with curtains and areas where there's tarot readers and stuff, people doing all kinds of things. And I turn a corner, and she walks right out from around there with her girlfriend. She's right there. Shaltamira, the person I had been talking to, I'm like, Shaltamira. She's like, 
hello? Hi. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you were in Mexico when we were DMing about Alexis from Three Teeth. Mm-hmm. And, here and you now are. you're here. She's like, and who are you? I'm like, I'm Frater RC. She's like, RC. <laughs> Oh, and we hugged and we talked, and it was like, whoa! I was like, somehow I knew I was going to encounter you, but mm-hmm. how how on earth is it that we're meeting at this crazy party in Berlin? And she's like, oh come on, it's Berlin. <laughs> of course we meet in Berlin. That's how it works. And I was like, tell me about a, a three teeth and Alexi and the work. And she's like, they are doing powerful magic, powerful magic to work through some of the dark. It sounded like how I hear masters of Tibetan Buddhism describe dealing with demons to elevate the world consciousness. I'm like, they are doing that, aren't they? She's like, yeah. I was like, I was listening to some of the recordings while I wrote up my article and it was like, super intense. So you got to check out 3T. I will. They were, they, they, and they broke out because Tool invited them to tour with them. And it was obviously because Alexi was being trained Mm -hmm. by Adam Jones and in Golden Dawn stuff in LA in like an underground well, musician that's, that version that just means there's obviously a Gigi ton train. more out there right yeah. there's so much out there people yeah. what a story hey oh it's a great story is it yeah I don't know it's interesting life's fucking weird man totally well in, in some, it's, some people use occult symbolism and stuff just to use it like I described to you in the heavy metal scene but some people are using it to create music to it. change the world exactly so it's it's super interesting and it also, you know, takes away from a lot of the traditional lodge. Everyone thinks it has to be a traditional lodge, and here you've got the band Tool creating adepts out of nothing at all. I mean, maybe there's a name of something in their lodge. But it Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Samuel. Definitely not something you're going to find on Google and apply online for I love Samuel. I love both the Samuels. I love Robinson, and I love Scarborough. I love everyone who's promoting the Golden Dawn tradition because it fucking made my life so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. I know, there's so much bad you can shit say, but you can say that bad shit about the public school system, about corporations, about every fucking organization. Anytime True. human beings get together, fucked up shit happens. Deal with it. Let's move on. Totally. Let's focus on the good, right? I do like um, Samuel Robinson's Pansofer website. He's got a lot of good I love how he rates Golden Dawn orders. I just think he needs to like have like a full IMDB star rating. As far as the rating of the orders, I thought it was kind of silly. Given what Martin did to him, man, he has a pass for me in life because Martin fucked him in the ass. Mm-hmm. Like, fucking tricked Zaluski into, like, throwing him out and getting himself installed. Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, it's Who terrible. behaves this way? But he's got a good following now, and a lot of people that can actually do a lot of translations. So he's he initiated actually... my mom with Martin into Portal in Montreal. My mom flew out there because the schism had killed Temple Duty. My mom flew out there, paid them, Martin a bunch of money, of course, and... Martin Trito like shit the whole time but Samuel was a gem yeah was a gem to her she's like if it wasn't for him being there she's like I think I might have died but they put her in a portal which I'm glad she got to have that portal experience before she died mm-hmm. she's still alive of course but fighting cancer and, yeah and uh, she's a beautiful lady and uh, she got to go into portal I think that's important mm-hmm. my sister uh, um, didn't get to do that unfortunately and I had to actually scepter her into philosophers I don't know if you know what sceptering is mm-hmm basically like one-on-one initiations that a higher effect could do because they're not initiations you're only initiated into neophyte and zealotor the rest of the other three initiations are actually advancements gotcha okay you've already started the cycle of the elements in Malkut yeah I won't say more about that because there's a little a sure. little surprise no I appreciate that from it. Appreciate yeah, no, that. no that's another thing people get wrong about me all the time is that I actually do value the, the learning process of the tradition I tell people to not look at things 
or not do things if it's not the right time and yeah, in their tradition or even in solo practice. I, mean, I just, I'm just, I feel I was so lucky. Whether you think I came from a shit order or a great order, it's definitely the largest order that's ever existed. Yeah, and that's because Zinc's a car salesman at heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, now now the FGDU has a rigorous application process, which is good. I mean, it was me and Marcel that uh, started not allowing schizophrenics in because we're not trained to handle it, man. We're not trained to handle people who like start like leaving blood-filled needles on our doorstep looking for the horror of Babylon. Like, you're like that's weird shit. And that happens. I mean, it happened it, all the it time. It happens all the time in those types of studies because it unravels people. We had a neophyte who was schizophrenic who got expelled and then waited five years, came back, and got reinitiated. And after his initiation, I looked at him I'm like, I know you. And he's like, he looks at me, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, you're gone, buddy. You're gone. Like, you know, yeah. I don't fucking put up with any shenanigans from guys, especially yeah. against women, man. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck you. Totally, totally. Fucking fuck you. No yeah. way. Yeah. No way. I have two little sisters, man. Fuck, I don't give a shit about your spiritual development if you're fucking gonna fuck around with women. Yeah, totally. And sores All and that. grabbing asses and shit. It's not a fucking whoopsie, man. It's fucking assault. There's no place for it. That's why Masons don't allow women, right? To avoid whoopsies. (laughs) Well, um, we do actually, you know, in your oath, there's there's, um, a vow to not violate your brother's wife, kids, (laughs) things like that. It's shocking it has to be included. You'd think the Ten Commandments would have handled that. Well, they wanted to, yeah, get that in your head. I mean, for example... It's a moral system. I have a lot of good friends, you know what I mean, that I can call on and whatnot. And they'll help take care of things. But if I call a brother from my lodge right now, I'm like, I'm stuck. I need a ride. I'm on my way. Like, there's no... Really? I mean, with a good lodge, that's just how it is. I mean, they become, like, if they hear you're hurting out of work, they'll contact Grand Lodge, try to get you funding. If you have a health problem, they'll try to work with you there. If your children, obviously, have any problems, the Shriners come in to help. Maybe I should have stuck with it. It was an insurance plan. That was the original purpose. I just got a. They got you got your funeral covers costs covered. Yeah, you got that covered. Your funeral costs are covered. And back in the I day, I want to be buried next to my great grandfather, who's next to Frater Achad in North Vancouver, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to. I want to fuck with those ghosts for the rest of my life. <laughs> Me and Frater Achad can just bitch up <coughs> Crowley. No, it's a trip. Is it? I didn't plan on moving into this town. But my great-grandmother, great-grandfather, and my grandfather are buried literally like a mile over there. And I had no idea originally. Wow. Wow. So. You know Chris Bennett's the reincarnation of Fred Arachad? Seriously? He grew up on the same street. Oh, I gotcha. And he's, he's definitely... I don't believe in reincarnation, but I do when it comes to Chris Bennett, because he's definitely Fred Arachad. Smart guy. Great books. Chris Bennett. Yeah. He's the best. And he stuck his toe out there. He's, he's, he's one of the most inspiring human beings I've ever met in my life. And just such a good man. He's a good fucking man. And he's a man who actually ruined his life for almost over a decade. Did you know that? No. By practicing black magic. Interesting. He almost told the story with me once, but I've heard it so many times. We didn't need to podcast it. But yeah, he did black magic. He fucked up his life. Fucked it up big time. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't do it anymore. I've seen it. Yeah. 
I don't I don't know if that's necessarily the same thing as left hand path. That's for you all to decide. But if you uh if you pursue evil or revenge, what do they say? Dig two graves. Boldly. That's why I have only love for Zinc and all the rest of those cocksuckers. <laughs> He's my godfather, I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Should we go do some ritual work? I think we can. I gotta check on the kid, kids for now. And I gotta see, Kristen's gonna be home pretty soon here, okay. so I gotta get some food going. We'll just bang out a little invocation of Thoth. Yeah, cool. Thanks for listening, people. Shalom. So, yeah. Just so we hit that free, three hour mark. And plus, I don't think I've ever gotten to do the end of a podcast that follows up after departing to a full circle on the ground with banners of East and West <laughs> and a full, uh, you know, LRP, BRH. This is the, the post-show wrap-up, right? Massive middle pillar. Well, you notice uh, one of my favorite things, I think, in teaching the middle pillar is when you're teaching it to uh, sometimes not let people know how long you're going to go on a single Sephiroth. You know, mm-hmm. so like all of a sudden you noticed and you sewed. We did like three, four, five vibrations for most. Most we we did four set four vibrations, which is a very short middle pillar actually, depending on your school of thought. But then for you sewed, we did like I think almost ten vibrations. Yeah. And I made sure that you didn't know. Like it's just one more, just one more. Oh, just yeah. one more yeah. again. Remember me like again. Out. And then after you keep saying one more a bunch of times. Then you say again, as if like there was never a one more. Like you're like like you're only just starting in the yeah. I stole the lighter. Um, yeah, I noticed that. It's kind of like working out. It's like another rep. Well, another I rep. find that when you when you uh, betray expectations, it it does sort of short circuit the cognitive thinking about what you're doing. It puts you into a more emotive, emotional, spiritual, you know, kinesthetic state almost. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh shit, this could go on forever. I don't know what he's doing anymore. I thought we were doing a four four time a yeah. four vibration middle pillar. Now now we're just like rocking and rolling on Yasod here. What's happening? And then you just go, okay, you have to relent. You have to say, okay, I just gotta go with it. Yeah. First time I did a middle pillar with like a Ninavashadrach, like he did that to me. Except he did it with me against the wall and then leaned down so that my legs were in a seated position against the wall. We used to call that the the Reichian middle pillar, after like Wilhelm Reich, I believe, because mm-hmm. of generating orgone energy from the groin, and it was like do that, and then he's like vibrate each sephira ten times, and I did, and he left. Neither Shadrach just left, and uh, then he came back in. And half, when I was like halfway through and my legs were like shaking and pounding the phone, I'm like, you know? Yeah. And he's like, do the rest. He's like, here's the vibration I'm at. He's like, now 20 vibrations for the rest. And I'm just like, you know, your ego's like flailing and screaming like a little baby. But by the end of it, I walked out of that temple feeling like I was yeah. walking upon high, treading on the firmament of new. I was like raising a flashing flame with the lightning of my eye ever rushing on in the splendor of the daily glorified raw (laughs) you know and that's how it can feel and that's a powerful ritual and like it shouldn't be treated uh ritualistically actually it should be treated yogically and if you've noticed anything probably from what we just did i do my rituals in a very yoga of the west kind of way yeah totally i can see that that was that was great for me i mean it was was nice to do the work with someone else too i can get pointers and shit 
It sucks so to big. have to like fly to another. And when I got my state grade, I didn't get initiation. to see the, another initiation from that point. Like normally, like in masonry, right after you get your initiation, you're watching the initiation happen. So you get this whole. Why is that? Uh, to help you understand. But like the same night. Uh, sometimes if you've got more than one candidate. Oh, I was put through with uh, two other guys. See, a yeah. guy went before me, and then I had to go through, and then I never got to go back to the temple. So I've just been mostly all correspondence. So, the, but point. they initiated you solo. Yeah. But and in masonry, were you initiated into your first degree solo? Um, in masonry, sometimes they'll do two people. Yeah, I was done <clears> with two other guys. Uh, but different parts. Like the lecture gets done once for one and one for the no, other. No, we did it all together. Yeah, so a lot of times we'll do separate portions for different it people. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. It was me and Martin that started actually doing GD initiations at Tahuti, uh, and we would do multiple initiations in a night if we had multiple candidates, wow. and that was crazy. That's a long night. But then, you know, you know we, we, it's hard to do that when you have, like, 10, 15 people joining every month, which sometimes we had that. <laughs> you, know. And yeah. you know. You know, only a few of them are going to stick around. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, I like that. If you can do it that way, that's great. I mean, I went through my, the, but I went through my neophyte and Zellator with like 20, 30 other people. Mm hmm So it was okay. It's fine. Yeah. It still works. Um, yeah. You're doing them again every time you perform them, right? And like if you if you do every officer role over a period of years, and do them all, <laughs> you get you get it. Yeah, that, you're, 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 that's it. Yeah. It's the anamnesis. That's the theological word used to describe um, sort of divine recapitulation. The idea that the crucifixion is happening not today, but every day. Sure. Through all time. That's a theological idea that you see portrayed in the sacrifice of the mass. And it's definitely a central idea to ritual work, I think. The idea that we are not doing something now. We are doing something that has already been done and will be done and is done in all time. Yeah, a stepping outside the time stream in a way, and it, it does feel that way to me when I do it. Oh yeah, I don't. The clock just keeps going. I don't even think about it. You know, I've done meditations and they all come out like an hour later, and I'm like, holy shit! Oh yeah, I didn't even realize that it was that long, and I think that's good because that means your the, the brain chatter isn't happening. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah. And normally I wouldn't include the analysis of a keyword when I'm working with someone in the outer order in any other order that, uh, you know, has, but, you know, I think if you're going to do the invocation of Thoth, it's nice to have that little bit of spirit come in. Mm -hmm. And again, there's probably traditionalists, or as I call them, dogmatists. Ah, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, they're saying, like, none of this is right, but it's like, this is magic, man. This is living magic. And to say that there's a right way to do it, I think, is dangerous. Very dangerous. Mm-hmm. As much as I love traditionalism, and I'm, I consider myself very traditional, it's like, spirituality is alive, man. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's got to be more than just faith alone, right? It's got to be connection. Yeah, you actually have to have connection. Faith alone is a big theological question, hey? That's, a, yeah. that's the Martin Luther issue. <laughs> Definitely. Any, any uh, thoughts, feelings, or stuff to share with people who might be getting into doing basic daily ritual work in the in the hermetic GD tradition? I mean, you know, I, I obviously can't speak so much because I'm well, such based on things that student. you learned just now. Yeah, I would say, you know, the importance of the voweling and the, and the volume is definitely probably key. Um, oh yeah, say something about volume and, and where you got that from and why that's relevant now. 
Well, I picked it up from different students. Cicero was big on that too when I went to a couple of his workshops. Um, because your body is a vessel, and you've got to vibrate the whole being of the body, I think, to actually be effective. Um, just, you know, whispering, you know, rituals isn't enough for the GD system. You know, maybe other systems you could be more timid. Well, it's all working towards what we call the great voice. And the great voice is, for lack of a better word, inaudible. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how you could get there without voluming your way there over many years. You know? Well, and I've seen lots of different people perform similar, you know, banishings and whatnot. Sure. And such a variety of taking different... A, taking a hazel wand and just drawing a circle around at Pantheocon where you, I met you, yeah. Mother Bear, people came up to me afterwards like, whoa, when you did that, I really felt it. I was like, yeah, that's good. That's that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? And like, I wasn't doing actually, I wasn't, in, I wasn't smuggling in any extra techniques. Mm -hmm. I was just taking a, a wand handed to me in that tradition and drawing a circle. It works. Mm -hmm. It works. Definitely. It's no, it's no pentagram ritual, but <laughs> <laughs> to each of their own tradition. And uh, if you want to mix and match, mix and match. But I do, I do think it's important to work the tradition. Yeah, I think we each tradition. The volume of vibrations thing and the tone. I think it's important to harmonize in a way, for lack of, again, not necessarily harmonize, but as musicians, you would actually call it doubling sometimes. Sure. Because it does create that sort of effect. Definitely. That First I could time I recorded Illin pipes. Uh, the engineer kept putting like echo or uh, reverb on it and it wasn't really working obviously we put a little verb on it yeah right? of course like, you know, a space. little love yeah. a little a bit of the suck dial <laughs> you know what that means yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's for those musicians out there but um, what I eventually was like it's just not sounding right maybe that's because I had a shitty read in Dalen Pipes but eventually I said hey because I, I knew a bit of Pro Tools and I said try slapping on a doubler that's a very specific sound effect, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. A doubler, you know. Sure. It actually can make a sound feel inorganic a bit, or uh, plastic. Some, sometimes, yeah. And it did, but it worked just well. And that's why you can hear that on the drum caprice of Donegal. Gotcha. And that's a doubler with a touch of reverb on the Illin pipes. And I liked it. It, it had a good, the right effect. Um, I also noticed... Um, it almost had an auto-tuny sort of effect. Yeah, no, it definitely it gives it some... It, it fills it up quite a bit more. I mean, I did notice that when we were you know, going over different uh, vowel sounds and you were kind of playing with the number, you know, that we were using, how as it pushed, I liked how the pitch escalating also creates that kind of a buildup um, atop the volume. That's kind of neat. Well, in the beginning episode of this podcast, I put a whole set of me doing ritual work on it, me doing LBRPBRH with uh, analysis of the keyword subvoce. Okay. Because um, I don't want to spoil it for people who are holding off. I know you've read ahead, of mm -hmm. course, and that you know all that stuff, so it's no surprise um, there. And uh, I do, because for me, it's one of those powerful rituals. And when I joined the GD, that was when they heard I was doing that already, they're like, yeah, you got to stop that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why? They're like, because you're invoking spirit, and you haven't been initiated for spirit yet. And I was like, okay, okay. I joined the GD because I, I had that experience with Don Craig's self-initiation that I told you about that mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't go right. So I was like... I am happy to do whatever I'm told <laughs> because clearly yeah. I was messing around with uh, powers I cannot control and as we used to say in our order the last thing you want to do is become a playground 
of forces you cannot control. Oh, definitely. You know, if we want to mess with someone, we tell them to just like, you know, you should just go sit down and rock back and forth and chant, I'm a playground of forces I cannot control. I'm a playground of forces I cannot control. I'm a playground of forces, you know? And people are like, why would we do that? It's like, if you're going to do it wrong, you may as well go all the way. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Also, I I also loved, one thing I love about my godfather, good old Roberto Voldemort, uh, was he'd call me up, and if I overslept and wasn't making good use of my time, he would, would call me up, and I'd answer the phone, and I'd be like, it's like 10 a.m., and I've overslept, mm-hmm. whatever that means, yeah. but, you know, whatever, yeah. it's him. And I'd would pick up, and he'd be like, fratter, fratter, only demons sleep during the day. <laughs> I'd be like, good morning, yeah. good morning, fratter. He'd be like, yes. How are you doing? How's, how's it going? I'm like, all right, I'm getting up now, you know. Eventually, he actually put me on a thing where I had to like write out what I did every hour of every day in a diary and show it to my my Marsa, my my supervising adept, every day. Wow! What I did all day from where, and I had to get the up by eight. And some days I'd be so tired because we'd be doing like ritual work and initiations or teaching classes, or I'd be reading, studying for grad school, or spending time with my fiance. Any number of things. Once in a while, I even saw my family or played Dungeons and Dragons once in a blue fucking moon, you know. I was 20, so I was like, you know, I wasn't living a normal life. Sure. But I'd wake up when he told me to at 8, and I'd just sort of read Lord of the Rings in, mm-hmm. the, in the study hall of Temple Tehuti as I slowly tried to stay awake through the mornings, which is so hard when you're doing ritual till 4 a.m. Oh, I mean, yeah. But, sure. you know, it was, a good, it was a good growing up experience. You know, I did need to grow up, and they let me in the order to help me grow up and mm-hmm. save me from a situation that they probably knew I needed it, right? You, I mean... Sure. If you're if you show up knocking on the door, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are. Chances are, you're meant to be there. And I had been I was a long journey to find that door. Yeah. How do you find the thought energy? That was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, it felt like someone had turned on like like the brightest fluorescent light that I've ever like but you know when your eyes are closed and like real bright light <laughs> it was just like basking over me and sort of made up sort of sort of like a like a reddish kind of a figurey shape hmm. in it um, but I, I tried not to read too much into it and just experience since it was the first time I was exposed to that energy I, just I like what Sabrina the Witch says uh who I podcast with, right? Uh, she's she comes from a spiritualist tradition, actually, of like that whole, mm-hmm. like from her parents and shit. She really comes from it, um, and she says she likes to recite from that tradition that they say there's no wrong impressions, only wrong interpretations. Sure. So like your experience is your experience, but mm-hmm. what you think about it might not be the best. However, but the experience is good. Yeah. Oh, the experience like is great. Says, was, that's the mysteries. Yeah. There was. There's definitely nothing. Malefic or anything like that. It was definitely just powerful force. Well, it's a nice space you have down there with your recording studio with a circle, a magic circle on the ground. Even though the magic circle's pointing in a different direction as the banner of the east and the west. Um, that's very David Griffin of you, bro. Oh, snap! Don't go there, girlfriend. I went there. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to get that stuff pointed out you know what I mean because I did the circle later after oh, I yeah. the band no. was up and all that no, but no that's all the little stuff like that, that that's I would either redo the circle or change your banners I'll change to the agree banners. with the with the circle even if the banners are in the actual uh, compass point 
correctly. I don't know what they are. I think they are, because I remember actually using... Well, then you might redo the circles to agree with the banners and the compass point, if possible. Yeah. Yeah, I would do that. that. But I like the circle, because it has the names on it. It's like, you know... It's kind of like a study circle. Yeah, it's a study circle. That's great. I wish I could have done that on my my circle. Mm -hmm. We're in my childhood bedroom. If I painted the carpet, I think my parents would have been upset. <laughs> I led very few people down of course, for with, that reason. With me making those vibratory sounds like three to four hours a day. Oh, yeah. They, no one wanted to come in my room. Yeah. My sister's friends would be like, step inside to ask me a question about homework because she's three years younger. So when I was a senior, she was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And they'd like ask me why and they'd keep looking around. Everything was organized pristinely in my room, but they'd be like, I gotta leave. I'd be like, why? Right. And they're like, it feels weird in here. It, there's something going on in here. I'm like, oh, really? And they'd hear me vibrating from after school on board, right? So they knew. They knew somehow I was fucking wacko. Crazy. But we're all in Waller School, so what can you fucking say? Yeah, like, exactly. You're, you're, you're literally in a Rosicrucian school founded by an occultist. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I don't, they I don't, don't say that on the brochures, but it's still true. <laughs> Yeah, I don't bring too many folks into the studio for that reason, right? Cause what school some... did you go to? Oh, a Rosicrucian one. Okay. <laughs> a Rosicrucian school. But like, not one of the ones that says it is, just the ones that secretly is. Totally. <laughs> like, you yeah, know? That's Waldorf. Like, Waldorf has smuggled in occultism into the world globally in a way that is so true to the Rosicrucian current, it boggles the fucking mind. It's yeah, the largest private school system in the world. Yeah, highly successful, too. Annie Lennox called her band the Eurythmics because of doing Eurythmy in mm-hmm. Waller School every day from grade 1 to grade 12. Eurythmy is the one thing you have to do every day from grade 1 to grade 12. It's the weirdest weird dance form you could ever see with these flowing silk things and all this stuff and eventually I looked into it and I was like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. It was created by I think these two deaf girls or blind girls or something. And do you know what it was actually designed as? Fucking weightlifting for the aura. Wow. Wow. Guess what folks? There's weightlifting for the aura and it's called eurythmy mm-hmm. that's why we have these, these diacal shapes and like dancing your name as they joke in Germany mm-hmm. but there's weightlifting for the aura yeah if there's one thing I think we should do in the golden on it's incorporate eurythmy because even the way they move like you're moving through water is a best is a really good way to move in ritual work like you're underwater like that's mm-hmm. sort of it it's not necessary and it's not always even appropriate but it sort of invokes the astral current because you're you're moving like you're moving through this astral fluid, as we like to call that which we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Even in even in uh, Masonic, we're the same thing. Slow, methodic, like everything's contemplative. well. Yeah, contemplative. Well, you know, it's like you're you're approaching it like it's an ominous thing, and so you need to slowly you know move about it. And I think that also helps with the with the brain too to quiet it down, being able to slow down a little everything kind of calm back down yeah and you didn't get a a vocal message from thought yourself I didn't you know and I want to say something about that because you don't always and even myself like I had to I had to like literally paradigm shift and pretend you weren't even there Mm -hmm. for me to be able to open up and access that connection Mm -hmm. and ask and get answers I had to. It's really weird. It's a 
it goes back to like meditation one and just mental training in general like you need to do that that is the stuff that's the most boring is so truly the most important yeah I can see that for sure I mean it might be like a, a fucking I don't know you know I might be a scattered flawed human being 99.9% .9 of the time just another fucking douchebag twatting around the world but when I do the work like training kicks in intention kicks in mm -hmm. purpose or as they say in the seminary mission church and ministry that sense of creating the holy in you and it's not now it's all times all at once anamnesis mm -hmm. and something happens man something fucking happens and you can talk to things and they can tell you things and they can do things for you I mean, I've definitely spoken to different currents. I just usually the first time I'm exposed to them, I kind of see I see them, oh. and then eventually, yeah. as I get more comfortable with that entity, then I can start. To... We would have portal people because that's when you're given the thought invocation, the order I was trained in. We would have portal people do thought invocations every day, along with uh, our esoteric rosary. Mm -hmm. We didn't call it that; we call it something else, but I can't say the name to counterbalance it because the rosary is very icy and, and very Isis next time we'll do Isis yeah the rosary you and me will do Isis next time okay and uh, we'll, we'll just have a sob circle <laughs> sob circle jerk um, <laughs> I love everyone the <coughs> mother that's why at Temple Tehuti in Vancouver and then Temple of Isis Mighty Mother in LA there was this sort of friendly rivalry but it was a rivalry of energy because we'd go down there and it was powerful doing work with all the adepts down there was powerful but it was icy and it was always very smooth like they weren't as precise they weren't bombastic they weren't whereas like you know they'd be like cops on pack conks on packs light in extension and that's yeah. it was powerful indeed mm. but like you go up to Tahuti, we were just like everything was bigger our mm. pillars were like this much around yeah, yeah, totally. and they were they were like 15 feet tall and this huge thing and the dioceses were huge and like you fucking need two people to move every dais until me and Martin were eventually like, you flip it like this you slam you know we'd get it done and be like yeah, boom yeah. like in this huge ass temple and, and we would be like everything was like electrical to hootie current you know powerful in a different way mm -hmm. it wasn't subtly powerful it was like you know cops on pack conks on packs <laughs> light in extension <laughs> you know boom you'd be like yes i am an initiate yeah different you know <laughs> you sort of create your own egregores with, with your temples as well amen right? yeah. I think if as long as you're giving effort, it's important. I mean, because I've I've seen so many poor, you know, Masonic performances where it's just verbatim coming from the head out the mouth, no intention. And when I started doing the speeches, I, I you know, someone came to me and was like, eighty like eighty five year old guy came <coughs> to me and he's like, I've probably seen like you know, three hundred initiations in my career. Easy. I have, he's all I have. Easy. I have never ever seen the charge delivered like that. And that is just amazing. Really? Because I, I, did, I approached it like... A magician. You know what I mean? Like, gave, gave inflections when it meant, you know. Something. Yeah. It's boring to see someone just spit regurgitated, you know, info right back at you like a robot. Um, you know, maybe some people like that. I don't know. But I like intention. That's why it takes so long to do the academic 
commentaries I do, because sometimes I'll just get through a sentence, but sometimes, but often, most often, I, I reread it and read it, and I try and say it like it makes sense, like you're really hearing it. Because when you just read a dry academic essay, it really can, most of the time, it doesn't sound like someone's talking to you and sharing an idea. No, exactly. It sounds like, like, you know, they're telling you about nuclei and, you know, describing something scientific almost, even in the most liberal of arts. But Definitely. If you, if you can give it some style, give it some flavor, and sometimes I even don't erase my mistakes when I and just re-say them, just to give it that sense of, these are ideas that a human being are ha is having based on a lifelong devotion to this field and discipline. Mm -hmm. Hear what they're saying as a, as a human being. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing with the academic stuff. I mean, I'm hemorrhaging mm -hmm. followers and likes. <laughs> 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 I don't give a shit. I'm shadow banned anyway. <laughs> who cares? I, if there's one thing you can say for anyone who goes into five six, it's like you don't get to decide what your life is anymore. Not really. Mm -hmm. You get to live the summum bonum, perfect wisdom and true happiness. Sure, I get to wake up with that every day but I don't necessarily get to decide what happens to me in life. Definitely. It feels that way. That's, that's how the true will feels. But at the same time, like Crowley, mm -hmm. Crowley, <laughs> Crowley, Alistair Crowley, says, mm -hmm. when you're really doing what you're meant to be doing, which uh, in many ways, and what the, the invocation we just did confirmed for me again, mm -hmm. you know, Froth often bitch slaps the fuck out of me, but you know, this time he actually gave me some, he was very comforting. And like, good. And I don't like to not, not to be silent. I don't like not to be silent. But in here, I'll share a little bit. When you overshare, you can feel the cutoff above you. Mm-hmm. Oops. Oops. I just fucked up. Yeah. Where's Where's my higher self whispering to me? Oh, it's gone for like six months, year, five years. Oops. Uh oh. I fucked up. I said something I shouldn't have said, and now my heart self is not going to talk to me for a little while. <laughs> uh -uh. That fucking happens, man. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. But when you're, like, with the stuff I'm doing with the Celtic Mysteries and everything else, it's like it, uh, a ball is rolling that I can't stop. Mm -hmm. If it kills me, it has no qualms about that. No qualms in the process. But that's, there's a power in that. There's a power in that, and sure. I honor that. I have to. Otherwise, I'm probably dead. Sure. Hey, I mean, doggy. I mean, look what it did for. This guys flopped down. Look, look what the system did for you know, like Damien Eccles and guys like that. You know Damien. I mean? Damien. I don't know. There's a lot of controversy on that guy. There is, and I. I, I can't watch his YouTube videos because neither my iPhone nor my iMac. And yes, I know my, my, my friends and students have chastised me. Well, if you're going to invest in Mac, what do you fucking expect? I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But all the devices I have currently are given to me because anytime I, everything else gets fucking stolen. <laughs> but like, I can't actually hear Damien Eccles shit even with headphones on because of the 
volume level on his his videos, so I oh, can't actually hear what he says. No, well, I only have one functioning ear from the last several round of assaults. I mean, as far as his, you know, his history and all that, I, I don't speak or condone anything. But I think that he, what he said. My is understanding that it's is actually what he was released because of DNA evidence, because he couldn't. They couldn't actually confirm that he did what he was accused of. I don't actually know. He shit. he still to this day claims he's a part of it. He wasn't and he part was of it. Stupid that he did it. Yeah. but he didn't bite off the kid's testicles. But he he thinks that it was a blessing for him because he got almost suicidal in prison until he started doing the work. Yeah. And he claims that it saved his life in the process. It's a it's a big question we have facing us as human beings. I think right now in the world, the question of is there a path for redemption mm-hmm. when we make a mistake? Is cancel culture something we should uphold as a permanent reality for those we feel have misstepped even in the slightest or even unintentional ways or should we have a path for redemption I think we should have a path for redemption anyone who fucking claims to be Christian better fucking admit there's a path for redemption definitely I'm not going some southern grace walk theory on you here I don't know if you know what that is but let's not get into it but a path and we need to start maybe defining it as a society. As a... Society. Yeah. What that path is. Maybe it shouldn't be a willy-nilly just let them for, be forgiven no matter what. As we know from Christian and Catholic theology, you don't actually get forgiven until you do the penance prescribed to you. Sure. You go tell a priest in confession. And I had this happen when I was mm-hmm. doing that stuff. If they said they did something like, you know, I mistreated my wife, I didn't tell her the truth, I was dishonest, and I didn't show up for whatever. It's like, not just say three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers. Mm -hmm. It's also sometimes, it's best to also, like, you have to do this. Go take your wife out for something, a dinner you never imagined, or let her, tell her that she has to decide the next vacation. The priest will sometimes now say that to you. And I love that kind of training going on in seminaries because that's good. You're forcing the person to go out and make better in their life. And then they're forgiven. You don't do that. You're fucked. You're fucking fucked. If you're part of that religion, you're not forgiven. That means you're going to hell. And I don't believe any of that shit. I I agree with the Jesuits who pray that there no souls go to hell and that there is no hell. (laughs) There's There's a lot of popular Jesuit prayers that actually are like, I pray that no one ever goes to hell, and if anyone does, I pray, therefore, that there is no hell. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, I think that's from Hearts on Fire, Prayers of the Jesuits. For all <laughs> my Catholic fans out there, I know there's one or negative three of you out there. <laughs> um, I don't know who the hell listens to this thing, but I appreciate the fact that when we hit up a live stream last night, a couple people, some of the first thing they said was, I appreciate what you're doing. It's like, that's nice. That's awesome. Nice. So, occultism is a thankless fucking path totally I remember seeing a school bus coming going home from high school one day and looking at everyone heading off to do this or that or the other thing and no one invited me to shit and I pulled up my Dion Fortune book and I read the sentence and the first paragraph of where I was at was like the path of the occultist is a lonely path and one that will be thankless and ultimately lead to perhaps complete isolation from the rest of the world I was like bring it on <laughs> bring it on of course totally. fast forward 25 years and I'm like uh, but hey mm-hmm. we well, made our bed we have to sleep in it that's exactly it and you can't turn back 
No. I think it's always interesting when you see these guys that have, you know, practiced all this and cold, learned a bunch of stuff, and then they renounce it all. And you're like, how do you just sew the curtain back up that you peeled back? I think that's what the movie Eyes Wide Shut's all about. I mean, you, you, once you open that door... Oh, interesting. You know, you can't stop thinking about all that stuff. I mean, it's like you open it up and there's no going back. And I think that the rigorous people keep going down the road, you know what I mean? And some people just get, you know, like an oven, have a bad experience and move on and then live in fear of it the whole rest of their life. I, I don't know the exact answer, but you, you do see it quite often these guys that get involved in orders and stuff that denounce it all and all there is is just Jesus. Well, Stoddard. You read Stoddard? No. Light Bearers of Darkness? No. I've heard of it, but no. You've heard of it? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because she was in the Alpha and Omega Mm -hmm. and wrote this famous book and actually uh, Zinkipu got a copy of it and he made me and Marcel sit there and transcribe it from hand because he was so worried that it would be lost for all time and we were both like you know it's probably going to be really accessible in the future you want us to transcribe it so he could like release copies of it because all he had was a photocopied facsimile mm-hmm. as you say <laughs> a facsimile <laughs> facsimile um, that's alright as I said all cultists say some words weird. I don't know what words I say weird, but I'm sure someone will point it out after this. I'll point some out when I, when I hear one. Yeah, forgive me. I, <laughs> I say processes instead of processes. Forgive me. Processes. Processes. It's because I do English good. Because English is my fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> to quote Andy Dwyer from Parks and Recreation. Yeah, dude. Good show. That's my bedtime, sleepy time show. Yeah, and I watch out here a lot, too. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fucking sweet. Yeah. Rob. Ron oh, Swanson. Oh, dude, I love fucking, what's his name? Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, Paul Rudd in that. Yeah, he's Paul good. Rudd in Parks is so good. Yeah, he does do a good job. <laughs> what a genius show. I, and I've, I've watched Space Force twice now since it's come out. I, it's it's on in the, the queue, but office. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's great. John, there's this scene with John Malkovich you have to see. He's just, he's just like, he's like, Fuck you. Then the guy's like, fuck you. He's like, fuck you. And he's like, fuck you. Fuck you. You know, just they go, he goes on as only John Malkovich can. Sure. And it's just ad nauseum. It's so brilliant. It's just like, it's fucking Malkovich on a TV show. Whoever thought that you would see John Malkovich on a TV show? Yeah. Seriously. That's how good TV is. I don't know what the fuck happened to movies, man. Yeah, it's they all just like two hours of bullshit most of the time. CGI. Yeah. All right, we'll turn this off. Thanks, folks. Love you. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with 
the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.